The Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. And that includes publishing their books, such as in the case of Aaron Kirk, who wrote The Hill, a memoir of war in Helmand Province. The Hill is an account of the tragedy of war, the deeply personal experience of combat, and the raw, unfiltered brutality of lower enlisted Marine Corps life. This book is gripping. It follows Aaron Kirk's odyssey from civilian to Marine and back again, focusing on his time as an infantry squad leader in Garmsir, Helmand Province during the height of the Afghanistan troop surge. For everything you should know about the Hill and all the lines of effort the Second Mission Foundation has going on, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current events and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. So surf the pages of Havoc Journal, read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal's always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest this week was Nate Gladden, the host of the Inheriting Manhood podcast and an active duty Air Force flight engineer with 21 years under his belt. Uh, as longtime listeners of this show know, uh, we have had episodes dedicated to the subjects of masculinity and femininity, um, both in and out of the military. So to talk to someone who hosts a podcast called Inheriting Manhood was interesting and, and was a reason that I dog-eared uh, Nate a long time ago as somebody I would like to have on the show. <clears throat> but Nate, you know, there are many other reasons for me to want to have Nate on the show as well. Um, as somebody who is still active duty, and obviously has been active duty for a long time, he's, um, I, I find him to be somewhat unique in that he's not, he doesn't have his blinders up about his MOS or his branch or, you know, his lane, um, even just the Air Force in general. You know, whether it's because of the podcast, whether it's because of his love of people and his desire to talk to a lot of different folks. You know, he's very aware of his place in the military, of other branches, of other MOSs, of, um, you know, he's just seems like a very self-aware guy with a diverse range of interests that go outside of his particular specialty uh, militarily. Um, and then as I said, he, he's just, uh, he's got a, a wide array of interests. Uh, I found, you know, he sent me before the show I don't think I'm diming him out by saying this, but he sent me a couple of um, pieces that he had written. One, uh, not just nonfiction, but you know, almost doctrinal in nature, where he, he 
talks about, he was, I think it was about 41 pages that he wrote about leadership. Um, and then he sent me a uh, short story that was autobiographical in nature. And uh, I reference, I think, both of them on the show. So uh, that's what I'm talking about when I mention those. But uh, it was interesting because the, the, the autobiographical piece you know, was all about his journey as a writer um, and maybe a repressed writer is the best way to say it. You know, somebody who is writing prolifically from a relatively early age and really loved writing and yet uh, continually would just burn or throw away his journals and not let it see the light of day. <clears throat> so um, obviously this was a guy with an awful lot to say, an awful lot to think about. Um, and I use somebody that, yeah, every time I, I heard about him, it would be in a different context about different subject matter. So I was like, yeah, he seems like a really interesting dude. And it was great to sit down and talk with him. Um, you know, it's rare that we have an out and out asshole on the show. <laughs> so it's not saying much to say that Nate's a great guy and I enjoy talking with him. That is, runs true for everybody. But, you know, with everybody, it's also unique. And uh, in Nate's own unique way, it, it just really was um, was fascinating. It was one of those conversations that I, you know, suddenly looked at the clock and realized we've been going for two hours. And, uh, you know, it was just a really engrossing conversation with a really interesting dude. Um, a little bit of level setting that we should probably do. We do mention his wife um, in the episode who is uh, really, um, I guess I can say that. Um, I, I, I'm not trying to make her sound Oprah on the level of Oprah or something, but she's a, a well-known motivational um, speaker. And uh, we talk about how that's intersected with his life. And that's an interesting thing. So no spoilers there, but uh, you can listen to him describe that relationship. Um but you guys should know that's who uh, who she is and why I mention her and other stuff you should know. Um, I think we mentioned Dirtbag Magazine, which is Buck Bulliard's magazine that has uh, just recently uh, Buck started producing and are publishing, I should say. And Nate wrote a piece for them. So that's interesting. Uh, but that's what we're talking about when we talk about that can't remember if we gave context to that so just trying to fill in all the gaps for you guys uh i think that's everything you should know uh to fully appreciate what nate and i talk about um but again just a great dude uh we we this this conversation just to give you a little um promo for what you're about to hear i mean this conversation runs the gamut from nate's personal struggles with depression and suicide to stoicism, to military career, to uh, the arts, to I mean, we, we we to manhood. Obviously, we cover an awful lot about manhood, manliness, what that means, what that should mean, um, what one does to be a man. Um, anyway, it's a wide range of subjects. So that's what you're in for uh, in this episode, and I think that's all you need to know. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Nate Gladden's profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, Nate. Thank you for having me, Chris. How are you? 
dude, this is it, man. This is as magical as it gets right here. This is it. That's all the pomp and circumstance we do oh, at the top of the show. It's I great to it. have you on, man. Uh, it is amazing to be on. I have been racking my brain all morning. I just got done making a, I'm going to, I'm going to quickly brag. This is the only Go. thing I have that I could probably brag. Please. About it's your episode. Life. Brag away. I have a, yeah. I have a cast iron, uh, uh, skillet now and i'm learning to use it and i'm starting to get pretty good at it so i just got done making a good breakfast um that's probably the extent of all of the wonderfulness that i have but while i was doing that i was like why in the hell does he want me to join him uh but no no man i'm unbelievably humbled by being here i appreciate you no not not at all and i saw your post the other day about uh imposter syndrome and i was like oh i should really lean into that i should go nate why do we have you on uh, what do you do exactly? Oh, Who are you? Like, oh, but but you know something. But it, it, let, let's start with that actually because it is it is an interesting subject. I don't. <clears throat> I wonder if anybody in the military, in or out, if they were a veteran, doesn't wrestle with that. There's always so many more people that are. You're like, oh well, yeah, I did this, but I wasn't that guy. I didn't do that. Yeah, like and and I guess it's true in the civilian world as well, but in the military where your resumes on your uniform so often. And, and there's just that constant sense of bullet point after bullet point that makes up the person, you know, that, that strict meritocracy or theoretically yep. a meritocracy, you know, it, but it's uh, yeah. I, I don't know that anybody doesn't wrestle with that. I mean, it, what's been your feedback since you posted that about the imposter syndrome? I've actually had, um, I've actually had some people that, yeah, sent that out and they were like, Hey man, I appreciate that. Like I definitely panic. And I, I sent Buck a message. So a lot of that comes from, you know, I mentioned it, you know, Carrie having yeah. on the podcast and anything else, but William Bolliard, uh, just Buck on Instagram, but, uh, you know, Buck and me were having a conversation. We had a, uh, a very, we had a fun-filled three-hour podcast uh, recently. Um, I saw, yeah. yeah, it was a couple weekends ago we recorded, and uh, it was fantastic. I will, I will say that it was like people be like, "Dude, how drunk were you?" Really wasn't that drunk. Really wasn't just nice buzz. Um, but uh, but we were talking, we were bullshitting, and we were messaging back and forth and talking about fiction stuff. And he's like, "Dude, send me something." And so I just sent him something, and he, you know, I sent him something that like I which scared me. I cared about, but I've never released fiction. I've never put fiction anywhere, right? I've done nonfiction, you know, the job allows me to do a lot of writing and stuff. Um, so I've done some stuff like that. Um, but that was the first like real fiction that I ever, the first thing of fiction I ever put out. And I sent him a message last night or sorry, the night before. And I was just like, Hey man, thanks for uh, making me not be a bitch anymore. Um, you know, and because it's true. Like it it was, it was terrifying. Like if you, who was I talking about? I was talking about this with a buddy who's, you know, like all of us does stuff in the military, right? Like, right. He's, you know, he's like another Bubba with another resume and his resume is, you know, astoundingly yeah. larger than yep. mine. Like yeah. it's a me, it's sure. like, God, I'm not him. <laughs> uh, but we were talking about imposter syndrome and we were talking about all these different things. And, um, and we were, we were just, I was just like, dude, I don't know how, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know how uh, people can do all these different things. It scares the shit out of me to put this out there and to put that out there. I was like, but if you strap me into an aircraft and you, you know, we go, we go 220 knots, 200 feet off the ground and pitch black um, and then pop up and do like an airdrop. And then you drop back down and then somebody like you do that and, or you land on dirt strip in the middle of nowhere. Like that shit doesn't scare me. That's just normal. But like, if you tell me to put out a piece of fiction that, yeah. 
is, you know, a couple paragraphs long. I feel like even now thinking about it, I'm like, oh my fuck, man, that is so scary. Like that is so scary. Like did yeah. that did that change how you thought of yourself? That suddenly now you're not naked, <clears throat> you know, Air Force senior enlisted advisor. Suddenly you're you're oh wait, what the fuck? Am I who am I? You know, Charles Bukowski. I'm I'm some yeah. fiction writer. Like, I mean, what did that did that change your perception of yourself at all? It did. It actually did. Yeah. It, it's weird, isn't it? Like, yeah. um, I, I do a lot of, uh, it's funny. I, I, I do a lot of nonfiction writing, like I said, and it's mainly from a standpoint of like writing about stuff for work. I care deeply, um, incredibly deeply about my people. And mm-hmm. so I will spend a lot of time trying to write something and narrow it down so they can read it and they can have something to like go off of. And we have something to communicate about, uh, but that's work related. Right. Um, and then I'll, I'll write, Oh, this and that and what, but like not fiction, not like that. Um, and, and it did, it changed. It was like, inst- as soon as it did, I was like, yeah, man, I can really do this. Like, I, and I don't mean like, write Like a, you know, I don't mean writing something, you know, that somebody's going to like read this, but like, I'm allowed, I have permission to do this now, you know, yeah. 41 years old. Um, and not a lot, uh, scares me when it comes to the uniform. I don't mean that like, you know, like combat doesn't, I don't mean that. I mean, like, right. At this point, I've been doing it for so long that like nothing really shocks me that much anymore. Right. Uh, there's a couple things that, you know, things will disgust me or they'll excite me or they'll do it. But like nothing really like blows my mind in the military anymore. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But like writing that, that it fundamentally shifted how I. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Glad you said that because I did. I it like fundamentally shifted how I view myself now. Um and I guess that goes back to, and then I'll shut up, but the podcast that, that I did with Buck, you know, I had a couple people reach out afterwards and like, Hey man, you do a lot of stuff on like trying to like, you know, cause doing the inheriting manhood podcast, there is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of episodes that are individual with me and I'm trying to give people like tips and stuff to get better on things. Mm-hmm. But I, but I love to talk to people, right? Like I want to have you on, you know, we're, we've talked about that. I want to do that, you know, in a couple of months. And I like to have people on, but there were people that were like, dude, when you're talking to somebody like Buck, you're like a totally different person. I was like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm me. I just, I have, there are multiple versions of who you are if you allow it to be, right? Like I can go to work and I can put on my, you know, put on my uniform, you know, whatever, yeah. but I can do that and I can develop the young guy or the young gal to do this. And then I can walk away. And then I like to sit on my porch and smoke a cigar and drink whiskey and listen to Benjamin Todd and just enjoy myself and act like a complete and utter shitbag if I feel like it, because it's my house. And then I can talk to my buddies and I can bullshit. And like, there's all these different facets of yourself. So like when I wrote that the other day, I was like, oh shit. Like I get to be like, I get to have the other facet of myself and let it be real now instead of just hiding it and keeping it, you know, just to me. So it's a weird thing. Uh, I think there's, I've talked about this before, I think on the show, but it always comes up and I always think it's an interesting split for most people from especially for veterans and folks in the military that line between repression and discipline you know you're in uniform and there has to be a discipline and by nature discipline means you are repressing certain things and that's okay yeah. um, repression has an inherently negative uh, context and i probably at some point should get off my ass and just look at the dictionary definition of them that probably answer a lot but i'll pretend i'll, I'll just do some lava lamp philosophizing here about it. I think it's an interesting thing because I know how passionate you are about leadership and, um, you know, the stuff you sent me, um, the, the amount of care and thought you put into your profession and 
the legacy that any leader needs to leave, the imprint any leader needs to leave on the folks that they that he, he or she leads. I know you care a lot about that, but obviously there's a discipline in leadership and there's parts of yourself that you just can't let out because right. you know that's not the time and place to do it. And when the military is a 24-7 job, that doesn't leave a lot of safety valves for the other stuff to get out, right? Which is why That's you right. end up with so much crazy shit in the military, where when people finally do get to blow out whatever it is that's in their system, it's like it can go off the charts. Absolutely. You, what, what's Talk about that just in your experience. What have you done? Like, What has been your key to staying sane, balanced? <laughs> you know, uh, try to maintain some equilibrium because this is yeah. now what over 20 years you've been in. Right? Yeah. 21 now. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. That, that's a, that's a marathon. So yeah. What, what have you done? What have you picked up from that? Uh, well, mainly I've just screwed up really bad. Right. And then been told how to fix it. Okay. Um, I, I was, uh, it is funny, right? So when you hear somebody say that they've been in 21 years and they're in, in a senior enlisted, you know, you know, I air quote, right? Because that's the funny thing. This is the meritocracy, right? There's like always another layer above you, right? right? And like when you make it to the highest level in the enlisted rungs, I think the best thing is that you can go and the lieutenant is actually above you. So it's, it's kind of a nice, so there's always this like funny thing, but like when you're supposedly supposed, you know, you're supposed to be a certain thing, 20 something years in. People think like certain yeah. things of you or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I I very much, I very much started my career as a failure, uh, and damn near didn't make it through. I I I the only reason why I I talked about medical stuff with a, a guy on a podcast. I you know many uh, many times in my career, I got very lucky that I had not standard leaders, and I broke many bones in my body, and they allowed me to keep going. Like I one hundred percent lied to get through my flight physical so I could become a flyer. Um, I, I wore a sleeve on my leg. That was all that, like I have drop foot in my right foot. I did for a long time. Um, I dealt with like emotional things and stuff like that. I like got to the point of suicide, uh, lied about that at the beginning, then had officers who helped me through it and and worked through it and like kind of scammed the system a bit. And then once it was like, they knew they had me, like I was good. Then they were like, Hey, let's go get you help. Um, and so mm -hmm. they've done all these things to get me through my career. Uh, but if I go back to like tech school, I went over a table and like punched a dude in the face like three times because he's like, we had a guy in our class and I'm not a, like I'm vertically challenged, but like we had a guy in our class that was very much an introvert and he was, he was a wimp. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it like that was not his thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't, I, I, I will never pick a fight, but I am quick to jump in. Uh, if, if like, I feel like one side is just wronging the other for mm. no reason. Uh, mm. And so I jumped over a table and like punched a dude. He punched me. We both ended up in the chief's, uh, in, in the, the chief's office, uh, got the come to Jesus speech uh, and no shit. The only reason why I think that I didn't get kicked out and maybe that other kid didn't kicked out. Cause it was like, it wasn't like a little bit, it was a, it was a big, it led to like 15, 20 people in a fight. Like it wasn't oh, like, okay. gotcha. yeah, it was like a brawl. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, in a hangar, in a classroom setting kind of thing, yeah. like in an aircraft yeah. hangar. It was not pretty. Um, and I think the only reason why is because it was like September 14th, 2001. And I think that's the only reason why it didn't become anything, right? It was yeah. a couple days after. Um, oh, yeah. And and I made staff sergeant twice. I made E5 twice uh, because I 
had a rather aggressive way of getting my point across with an uh, with an officer. Um, and I was deployed. And I think that's the only reason why I'm st- so like I've had a couple moments where I was just a complete nutter idiot. Um, and I tell my people about that. I don't hide that from them. Right. Um, and I think that's really important. And I don't condone any of it. I, I should have been. You know, they should have just, you know, actually, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say they should have booted me because obviously I'm still here. But like, I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have had a leg to stand on to argue if they had yeah. booted me out, right? Yeah. Or 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 put me in under more stuff than they did. Um, I wore my flight suit unzipped all the way to like my belly button uh, for years because I just couldn't understand why the hell I would have it all the way up because it was annoying. I don't like it. I don't like, like, I didn't want to wear clothes. Um, and so eventually when I made senior NCO, like when I became a senior NCO, my colonel pulled me in the office and he was like, you'll now zip your top up. We've allowed you to be you. You're going to give us a little bit more. And I was like, uh, okay. And I knew to get in line. Right. So it's like, there were these different things, uh, throughout time. Um, and that, so I approached that with them and I'm very honest and open with my people, uh, much to my leadership's, uh, you know, chagrin, if you will, at times, they don't necessarily always enjoy my style. Um, but I don't care because at the end of the day, I'm not doing anything illegal and moral. I'm not crossing any lines. I'm not breaking policy. I'm not, but I just not now. Uh, but, um, but I know that there's a discipline that needs to be there. So I show them that discipline, but I also believe not that like, I don't know. It's a weird, I believe you're supposed to show people that like you're a human being, right? Yeah. And it seems like you've stretched, like, like you didn't try to repress a whole lot and maybe it almost got you Mm. in trouble and almost got you out. So now it's easier to kind of keep those left and right limits in place. Cause you've already, you've already pushed it out. Maybe there's somebody that was straight laced the whole time, be ready to fucking blow like a powder keg at this point, you know, but you've kind of already, you know, you've kind of already gone through that. So you got that out, you know, it's true. I don't do well with, um, I, it's funny. Like I get along with everybody. I love people just in general. Um, but I see it, the people that groom their entire career all the way through. And I don't look at them and judge them on the fact that they do that. Um, I don't, I don't do that. I get it. That's their approach, right? Like their approach, my approach was terrible for the majority of my career. Their approach was phenomenal. That's why they got there before, you know, before I did. Mm, yeah. uh, that's why many of them are my bosses, you know, that kind of thing. Right. But I look at it and I don't think of it like that. I, every time I see this and this isn't meant to be mean, I don't care if somebody takes it that way, but it's not meant to be, but I just go, how many times could you have taught somebody something, but didn't because you were scared to let them see like who you actually are. Like you wanted them to see the perfect haircut and the perfect groom uniform and the perfect this and, you know, the perfect way to make sure you stand and talk and you make sure that it's got a good rhythm and this is what we want to do. Like, what the fuck is that, man? Like, so how many opportunities did you miss to teach somebody that like, this is some, that there's value here and how many people did we lose over the time, over time because we weren't willing to be human with them? Um, I don't know. That's, that's, uh, my approach to things. It's always been my approach to things. It's its interesting <laughs> that that's where your head goes that to, to the opportunities they missed to teach others. I mean, it kind of underscores how much you, it seems like you care about the people underneath you and how your thought immediately goes to the second and third order effects of what you're imparting, you know, that you're not yeah. thinking about yourself. So actually I'm going to loop that back into the writing there. You don't have anybody to lead. You're just writing. It's just you. Was yeah. that weird? Was that weird where it's like, hey, you, yeah. you have no, you know, no span of control. You have no command, you know, uh, yeah. requirements here. Was that just kind of weird to be like, I'm, I'm me. I'm just doing this and this is 
something that came from my brain and I'm putting yeah. it on paper. Yeah, it's terrifying. I felt naked the entire time. Um, yeah. And you know, and what I what I wrote wasn't anything epic. Like I said it was like a couple paragraphs. However, um, but it did lead to actually something uh, like a short story I'm trying to write. Right? And so I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I'll take a little piece of this and throw it out there into the world and see what happens. And like, like maybe I maybe Buck would have been like, bro, I don't know how to tell you this, but like this looks like a blown out asshole. Like I can't right. do anything with right. this. And then I would have been like, all right, well, I'll go ahead and hide that from the world. Like, yeah. you know, but either way, like he, he was like, dude, I, uh, yeah, I want to put this out there. I think this is cool. And I was like, oh, wow. All right. I, I, like it meant a lot to me. Um, and, and it did, it meant that I had to sit there alone. Um, and that is something I, I I've talked about before. I, you know, it's all based on the situation and the, and the conversation is like, there are a lot of demons rolling around in the brain, right? Like a lot. And we all do. We all have them, but like, there's a lot. And so through that process of writing like that, uh, cause I've been writing stuff for, I don't know, man, like well, my, almost my entire, well, pretty much my right. entire career. Um, even in, even in high school, I was in middle school, you know, great teachers that taught me things. And, um, so I've been writing for a long time, but to repress that from the world for like, you know, 25, 30 years has been the norm for me. Um, but it so it felt naked, but it also was like, man, I'm just gonna like, like if the world sees like the creative side of my brain, see what they do with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Why, why was it? Why did you? So I, I know you sent me a piece, you know, that you wrote, uh, autobiographical piece about your life, your hidden life as a writer. And you're like over there burning your journals and like you write stuff and you're chucking it away. Why? Why was it constantly jettisoned? Uh, I think it's because I was scared, right? And I don't mean like scared, like, oh, just nervous about it. So I, and I have, have talked about this before, but it, it, it it's big. So, so my biological father was a useless. He was a useless human. Um, he was a bad man um, in and out of jail and he was a you know he was a drunkard and he was a drug addict and he was all those things and my mom being the fucking rock star of a human being that she was was smart enough to get us or you know get me away from that right um however there was always that thing lingering in the back of my head like how can you not want to be like he signed me away like had no problem with it right like he was like yeah i don't want any responsibility to this little uh, this little brat so like he was he was just a bad person. Right. Um, and my grandfather was a rock star. So then, uh, I loved him. Like that man is the only, he's the only human that I've ever put on a pedestal in the mm. sense of like, he's a hero. And if you mm. told me that he robbed 10 banks, I'd be like, yeah, well, he probably robbed 50. So ha ha ha. I got away with 40. Like, I just, right, right. like, I can't imagine him doing anything wrong. Um, and this was your dad's dad or your mom. This is my mom's dad. Okay. My mom's family is incredible. They are so special. Um, so anyway, so, but my dad's, that side of the family, I didn't have a lot of contact. My, my sister, so me and my sister uh, through my dad, we've now reconnected. We have a, a you know, we, we have a special bond now. We have a very special connection, but we were separated for years. Like she, we, for years, because we couldn't be like, we couldn't be around him. Right. Like we couldn't, like he was violent. And the only time he ever saw us, he like threatened my mom. Right. Like he was we were afraid he was going to kill her. Right. And he was going to kill us. So we had to go in separate directions. So she went with her biological mother and went in a different direction. I went in mine and he was nowhere in the picture. So we went in our own different ways. And then when I was in, uh, you know, when I was a little bit older, you know, teenage years and stuff like that um, at church, I was sexually assaulted by a man. 
right? And so a couple of these different things. And so I stopped trusting men other than my grandfather, like my, like my grandfather, my uncles, I just talked to my uncle Greg last night. He's a wild child. He's getting ready. To, he's in his seventies. He's getting ready to go to a bachelor party in New Orleans. He's crazy. I love that man. Um, and, and he, and he will burn New Orleans to the ground and will come home like nothing ever happened. He's a fucking legend. Anyways, I love you, uncle Greg. Um, but, uh, but that said, like I trusted those people inside of that, but I trusted, I lost faith and trust in men. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to have that, but I didn't know where to get it. And so I went in the military to get it. That's actually where I, that's a large reason why I joined the serve. My grandfather was in and I wanted to be like him, but like I went in with the impression of like, maybe I'll find some cool dudes who will like teach me to be a man. Um, and that's, you know, that's the approach to that, but I didn't trust men. And I think a lot of like, I trusted my immediate family and nobody else. Um, and I think, I really believe that a lot of that over time is just like, as it kept going, as it kept going, it's just like, I cannot trust anybody with anything. Like I can't trust anybody to do. I didn't tell my mom that I was, uh, like that I was assaulted, that I was molested, whatever word you want to use. It's amazing how many different variations of words. Right. right. Um, but I didn't tell her that that happened until I was almost 40 years old. I hid that for 20 years, right? Um, that stayed with me. Um, I tried to tell one person one time, my uh, my ex, and she was like, I don't want to hear about that. And I was like, oh, well, then that just sent my whole brain into a complete and utter tailspin. Yeah. It was like, oh, when you try to be vulnerable, you like it will betray you. So, So like the last like three years of my life have been the most open and exposed I've ever allowed my life to be. Um, and it's been horrible and wonderful. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like it, like, yeah. it, like it really is. Um, but it comes down to leads to why I spent so many years in the military. I did have some very incredible mentors and leaders. Um, but I, as it, here's why I'm in over 20 and it's going to sound so corny. And I, I'm trying to not sound like one of those people that I shit on, not in a bad way, just teasing, but like the well put together leaders, if you will, like the one, like the generals and the chiefs that will get out and then they'll go work for a company and they'll write a book and they'll do a leadership tour. And then even though they haven't been around people and led anything for, you know, 15 years, doesn't matter. Anyways, uh, try not to sound like them. Uh, I love a lot of you, you know who you are, but, um, but that said, I'm I'm quite literally here because I'm hoping that somehow over time I'm meeting men and women who were like me and they're just keeping it together. So they don't just one more day and then they get better and they use the military to do that. Right. Like I need them to just get one more day because I've come like in the past, not now in the past, come close to suicide a couple of times. And it was the people in the military in the military, not out of the military, in the military that kept me alive. Um, there were some moments when I leaned on like family, but like almost exclusively it's been the people. And so when I'm here now, I'm like, Hey, this is my last run. Like this is my last couple of years to try to just be with the people and do stuff. I was in a staff gig, like tracking up and left it to come back to the operational side of the air force. Cause I was like, I don't need to be with anybody. Like I'm just I'm just sitting here with a cup of coffee and a computer going to meetings. This is fucking yeah. wretched. Like, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. So do you think you couldn't have gotten that support had you left and gone to the civilian side? Is it just that lack of community, the lack of 
Yeah. Common operating picture, all that. Yeah, I needed it. I, uh, yeah. Not everybody does, right? I yeah. think most people they do four years, they get out, for, you know, because they don't need it, or they go into the garden reserve and they don't they don't need that thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I've spent time with the garden reserve as far as like being with them, being stationed with them, joining you know a unit and stuff like that. I mean, it's I've had a lot of uh, of fun, but for me being the type of person I was, I did not figure out who I was and I'm still working on everybody is, but like, I didn't really come to grips. That's probably the best way to say it with who I was until very late in my life, because I was afraid to talk about who I really was with anybody, but I needed it. Like I was one of those people that like I was in, I was in Florida. I grew up in Florida. I got kicked out of public school in Florida. You know how hard it is to get kicked out of public school in Florida because you're, because you're an idiot. Like, no. Listen, all you had to do is just say I'm from Florida. I think yeah, that exactly. explained everything, right? Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. exactly. No, it's fucking no. Listen, uh, Katie actually told a, a bartender that one time. My lady, she actually, he was like, "What the hell's wrong with you?" And she's like, "He's from Florida." That was actually what she said. <laughs> so. <laughs> it does cover a lot. It, yeah, it, it covers. Does, yeah, it gives you a wide cover spectrum a yeah. of sins right there. <laughs> Um, how do you feel you are right now? Do you th- you think you're over the hump? Do you think like this? Do you think you're? I guess how prone are you to depression, confusion? Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, just where are you mentally, or do you feel like the last couple of years have really helped you get over the hump? And you're like, hey, I, I can weather a lot of storms now, inside, outside the military. Like you're set up you've kind of achieved a certain level of stability. Both. So I am very aware of the fact that I can go to an unbelievably dark place. Yeah. I'm very aware of that and I don't shy away from it now. That's the difference. Right. So like, um, and I talk about this with my people. I'm like, listen, I can get very, very, very depressed and I can get incredibly, um, there's a a poem that Buck has in his in his book, Sober Man's Thoughts. We were talking about it, a gun case, and, and I'm not gonna you know, mm-hmm. books in the other room, so I'm not gonna get, but like gun case, and he's talking about like just needs to be shot out, and I have that right, and I have a I have a thing that always lingers, right, like this like wild crazy thing that's there, and this wild depressing thing that is there, right, uh, and this this it's just sit like I can go to a dingy bar and look around and be like, man. I want to see if I can drink until I can just fight somebody on the bar and just Mm. get thrown in jail tonight and just be bloody and like, just be violent. And then I'll be like, what, how, why, why would you do like, so I'll have these real conversations with myself and then be like, that's, that shit hurts in the morning, dude. Why would you do that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Won't do that. And and then also like depression, I can really go into a dark place, but now I'm like, okay. And I will tell Katie that's, she is so special to me in that way too. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I can do it now on my own, but I needed to lean on, uh, there were points where I needed to lean on her. Uh, and I, and I'll tell her, I'll be like, Hey, I'm feeling really shitty right now. And I do not want this to come out in any other way. So I'm, I'm super depressed. I just need to be alone for a little bit. Um, I need to go for a long run. I need to go do this. I need to go do that. I need to write. I need to go on the road. I need to try something. And she's like, okay, I get it. Like take your yeah. time, be alone. But the difference is she like, she helps me, but then also I know how to talk to myself now and get myself back from that. Right. And, and realize that like the past is the past. The future is the future. You have to be in that present moment. You have to go back and forth and, and it's, it's not easy. And, it, and I'm not different than a lot of people. I'm just, um, maybe I'm just talking about it and maybe that's the difference. And, you know, that's, that's really it. Um, 
Is there a discipline from doing the show and being on social and all that to keep you from depression? Yeah. Keep you from self-immolating? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Every time I put anything out, it's funny. I don't care about social media. I am terrible at it. I don't know what, like somebody tags me and I just like share it because I don't know how to go beyond anything else. Right, right. Uh, I'm sure I could hire like a, like a, like a 17 year old or they can make me like a billionaire tomorrow, but like, I don't even know where to find one of those 17 year olds. Uh, but like, I'm terrible at all that shit. But like every time I put anything out or share anything, um, I am very self-conscious and very afraid, but at the same time, I'm like, i why am I afraid? Like, I'm just trying to help. And then I put it out, right? Um, if you'll notice, I'll share a ton of stuff of other people's because yeah. I just, I love seeing people get, no, like, get notori- yeah. uh, notoriety or like, it makes me excited. I'm like, oh, yeah. good for them. Like, yeah. this is great. Like, I love that. Um, but I do try to pull back uh, when it comes to me. And it's funny, I don't, yeah, when I do the podcast, I, I, I've told people this before. I'm very nervous. Like, whenever I hit record, on a podcast when I have a guest on, yeah. if it's just me, I'm staring at a wall, like whatever <laughs> right. I can, I can do it. Um, I've been talking to myself for years, so I can do that. <laughs> but, um, but like when I'm interviewing somebody, I'm very nervous. Like I really want to do the best I can to make sure that the best version of them comes out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not the message they want. That's between them and themselves. But th- the like, can I, can I, can I show up and be the best human being I can be for them in the way that they need to be met right now? And like, so I'm very aware of that, uh, very nervous about it. And if I talk to somebody who's, you know, like been squared away and had an amazing career and they're like high level leadership, we're going to talk about that. And if I want to talk to somebody and they want to talk all about poetry, we're going to talk about that. And if we want to talk about, I don't know, unicorns and lollipops we will or we'll talk about deep dark shit i'm 100 just want to meet them where they and because of that i've felt like the last three years of doing the podcast is also i've just grown like it's just made me just change as a human being it's been so freaking uh it's been special yeah yeah this is gonna sound um maybe judgmental um and maybe that's okay but i'm just gonna throw this out here um, cause I've thought about this a lot. Do you, do you think depression is an inherently narcissistic trait? In other words, that the cure to it is exactly what you just talked about. When you're thinking about your guests or you're thinking about the folks you're leading, you don't have time to be depressed. It doesn't mean you don't get depressed, but it, it just goes, I can't sit and indulge it because I've got a responsibility that's external of myself. So I can't yeah. wallow in this right now. But then when those quiet moments come, then it's like, fuck now here it comes like a freight train. But yeah. it, but the cure is always outside of yourself. It's not, it, I mean, yeah. I, I, again, I'm asking, I'm not telling, I mean, what do you think? I mean, it, it, how, have you, what have your yeah, thoughts man. been on that? I, I I did not pay attention to me as a human being until a couple of years ago. I, every single thing I did, every time I was depressed, I could find something like, so in, on top of having a military career, I coached sports starting in high school. So my senior year of high school, I started coaching sports. Um, and I coached sports until probably about three years ago when just, you know, like at some point I was like, Hey, I have a lot of responsibility to these like once I started to make it to a higher level, I was like, I have a lot of responsibility to these people Like I, in the uniform. I need to dedicate it to them. That's whenever I started doing the podcast. So I quit coaching about the same, like a little bit before I stopped or started the podcast. Um, Where are you coaching? 
Uh, I coached uh, rugby up at Westfield State up in Massachusetts. Uh, yep, loved it. Uh, yeah. I coached, yeah, I coached high school soccer uh, down in Georgia when I was based there. I coached basketball. Um, you know, helped with some football and stuff like that here and there, like in the military. But for the most part, it was soccer, it was basketball, and it was rugby, and those are the sports. And I loved it because it meant. Every single hour of every single day of my entire life got to be about somebody else and me helping them. And because I was trying to, I could not help myself. So I was just helping other people. And then what has happened over the last couple of years has transpired is I'm like, wait, hold on. I can help myself at the same time that I'm helping other people. So that became a very, that became a very interesting, uh, uh, well, a monumental shift, you know, if you will, in my life. And, and it goes back to what you were talking about with like the narcissism. I do agree with you that that is that. And I think, I think it's, I'm not smart enough to come up with the psychological understanding of this. This is where you need definitely like not me, but, uh, but I look at it and I go, Hey, this is, yeah, this is very narcissistic. And this was the way that I handled it. And then now I'm able to do both. Right. So I can, now I can tell when I am, um, now I help people purely out of the joy that it brings me, not out oh. of the need to hide anything, oh, not out of the need to cover anything. Yep. Now it's joy for others. Like, I don't know what that next thing will be, but like, I don't know if I go outside and like somebody needs, this is going to sound ridiculous, but like if the neighbor needs me to help like carrying groceries, like I'll be very, like, I'll feel very good about that. It'll make me feel very, like, it'll make, it'll bring me real joy. Right. Um, when somebody puts out a book, like, I'm like, oh, wow. Like that brings me real yeah. joy for them. Right. Like it really does. But before it was just like, how can I help them? Cause if I'm helping them and I don't have to worry about yeah. me Yeah. and now it's different, like now it's slightly different. So I agree that I think the answer is yes to what you said. And then if you really want to do some hard fucking work on yourself and some scary shit, then you'll get past that. And you'll realize that you, you can, you can do both and you don't have to just do it for one reason. If that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And it's funny because it's actually, I think, why I did want to get you on the show is the impression I've had of you and the work that you do and your podcast, your posts, your writing is that you are a champion. You are somebody that likes to champion others. And there's kind of a selflessness where you do seem to take an awful lot of delight in what others are doing. And you like to give a platform to that. And I think that's incredibly, yes, it's selfless. It, there's a certain nobility in that. Um, but the way that then you also have this passion for leadership, you know, you're not, um, you're not a cipher. You're not a barnacle on the ship. I mean, it's like, right, yeah. it's like you're, you're taking all of it and clearly um, trying to find a purpose for, and, and coalesce all these experiences that you're hearing into something that's going to be of value to, um, either people that you're leading or to yourself, I guess, in like with the manhood, you know, with inheriting manhood, which seems like it would have lessons in applicability for yourself and any number of people, including myself. To me, that is kind of a bit of a stoic philosophy. You know, you're trying to take yeah. actionable wisdom, experiential knowledge and channel it into something that is productive. Have you studied the Stoics or are you uh, <laughs> oh, talking yes. about that? Yeah, I thought you had. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk about that. How did you discover Stoic philosophy? 
I discovered, uh, dis- well, I, I guess I would have heard about it when I was younger, but I actually almost running over uh, army paratroopers at Fort Bragg is actually how I found out about stoicism. Uh, so oh, that, pilot- that old cliche. Yeah, yeah, sure, that, right. yeah, yeah that old cliche. Yeah, yeah you know. Um, yeah, I actually yeah. did a, uh, uh, I did a, uh, a stoic, uh, sto- military stoic con X, I think is what it was called. It was last year. I did like a, it was like an online thing or whatever. Um and it's it was for stoicism. I had Donald Robertson on my podcast. He's written a couple books. Um, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor is the one that I tell people about quite often. Really good book. Uh, he wrote that, and he does like he's therapist of CBT and all the other stuff. However, he also is massive on. He's one of the world's foremost leaders on stoicism today, right? Um, and um, he's incredible. So, anyways, I say all that to say I, I talked about that on there, but. Basic, basic gist. Like me, um, I, I won't dive into that. I'll just basically say you know, we were cruising down one of the dirt strips on whichever one of the, you you know what I'm talking about. A brag, you know. You, you I was a C130 guy for a long time, so you yep. know you've got all the different fields. You know you've got Holland DZ and all the other mm-hmm. ones out there, and you can land on the dirt strip and pick them up and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I think it was Sicily uh, is where we were uh, um, dropping on, and then. You know, you land on the dirt strip, pick up some more bubbas, go up in the air, drop them, land on the dirt strip, pick up some more bubbas yep. dro- over and over again. You do this all day, right? Yeah. I, I love that shit. Um, way better being in the airplane watching them jump than being the person jumping. Uh, so, uh, but like one of them, as we were hauling ass down the dirt strip, decided to like run across it. Like for whatever reason, had a brain fart and decided to run across it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw this and like, like I, like, the co-pilot saw one thing. I saw a different way. We had a different physical view, right? And the pilot saw it and kept pressing. So basic just the guy realized that the last second dropped to the ground and we went over top of him over our engines. Um, and then, of course, once we were off the ground, you know, they're like, hey, let's scream and yell at uh, over the radio right. to tell him to get this moron off the dirt strip. Right. Um all that, and I'm sure the army handled that accordingly. I actually have zero doubt that he was taken care of. Uh, if there's one thing I do know, it's that they do know how to make sure that he didn't do that anymore. Um, I can't, I can't imagine if they had been a Marine, but that's okay. They would have probably just executed him right then. It would have been okay. Don't worry about it. Um, but uh, no, I love those guys. So, but anyways, he was basically talking to us, you know, essentially he was like telling us about stoicism. And he, so he used Socrates to basically say like, essentially like your view of the world from this angle. And then is anything different, right? Like, is anything different? Uh, you know, I'm terrible with remembering the quotes of, of you'd think yeah, I remember sure. it, but like, basically it's like, Hey, you had this view of things and you had this view of things, but it was the same thing, but you thought, right. Thought right. In a different way kind of concept. Right. And so later at the bar, he told us about, you know, stoicism. And then, you know, I heard about it and then fast forward many years later and I decided to get into it again. And when I went through, uh, when I went through my divorce, it was, I spiraled out of control for a while and it was stoicism that brought me back to really like, like it was obviously friends and family. It was like the people, but having a, uh, a quiet place and a yeah. lot to read. And so, yeah, I have quite a few books. I've got like a stack of stoicism books to read. And then I've got throughout, he littered up through here uh, are, you know, philosophy books and, you know, stoicism and stuff like that. I lean on it heavily. Um, I'm not a, I'm so terrible. I'd be like, you talk about somebody would be awful in your business, man. If you put me on stage and told me I had to like memorize lines, I would suck so bad at it, but I would ad lib everything. And then you'd be like, thank you for doing that. Also, we now have to 
kill you because that's not what you're supposed to say. And Shakespeare like, oh, never okay. put it that way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh boy, like if you want me to do Shakespeare, we're in trouble. But if like Shakespeare had another brother who just made shit up on the fly. Yeah. The cliff notes Shakespeare. Spot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. need a cliff note Shakespeare, you let me know. I'm there for you. But uh, I would be terrible at it. Um, I'm so bad at that, at, at that, um, so bad at memorization. Um, I've like struggled through everything I've ever done because of, you know, if there was like any kind of memorization to it. Uh, but yeah, I do. You know, I, I take the Stoic philosophy and I use that quite a bit. Um, Katie does as well. Both of us, it also helps us. But um, yeah, we do a lot of, we do a lot of talking through, like, why do we feel this way? We must feel this way because of this. This was the, you know, this was the action that happened. I now have this like moment in time to like process before I react. So we do a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and I do, yeah, I do spend a lot of time with Stoicism. So, yeah. Uh, talk about what Katie's meant to you um, because she's, did I, I guess was it the chicken or the egg? Did did you kind of see her? Because obviously she's a very reputable motivational speaker. But I mean, did did you kind of get into the forensics of how you of how your brain works, how emotionally you feel, how to process all that because of her, or were you already going down that path? And then she kind of came into your aperture, and it was like, oh yeah, of course, this is this makes sense. No, it was at 100% uh, meeting her. I was uh, four ways at uh, four days away from killing myself. I knew exactly how I was going to kill myself and everything else. I knew the day I was going to do it on. I met her four days before. Um, and she, uh, I was talking about all the struggles and the this and the that. Anyway, we had a real honest moment. I was four days away and I was like, all right, well, uh, I guess I should back up. Did like most other people, right? I go through a deployment. I come back you know, wife's got a child with another man kind of thing. You know, that's actually not the first time, like there could be somebody that's in the civilian world that just heard this. And they're like, that's terrible. It's really not that terrible. It's pretty normal inside of our world. We're used right. to it now. Right. Um, I, I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. Like, it's just, it is what it is. It's a sad truth. Uh, make better decisions when you marry somebody. Uh, and then also have better ways of communicating with them all the way through. Right. So I wasn't very good at that. Um, and like I've said, I wasn't the most trusting person anyways. However, I did start to trust this person and then they betrayed me and I was like, Oh, got it. Like I tried to trust again and this happened. So fuck my life. Uh, so now you got to fast forward from that, not that time, but fast forward beyond, you know, that year and into the next year and everything else. Um, and I knew how I was going to kill myself. I was going to do it on the day. Like I was going to do it on the day that she had told me. Right. So she would know. And I planned yeah. it so that like uh, the, all the benefits would still go to the family and everything else. I mean, I planned everything out. Um, and then a buddy of mine through the game of rugby league, which is like a very specific kind of rugby that's played down in Australia and, and over in Northern England. Um, he was like, Hey, um, there's a couple of Aussies coming through. They love rugby league. You should talk to them. And I was like, sounds good. It was Katie and her mom. Um, and I was like, sure. They're coming to DC at the time I was stationed down in DC. Um, so I was like, I'll go out to dinner with them. And then I ghosted her for like days and like didn't talk to her. Uh, and then, and then, uh, and then just at the last minute, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'll go have a nice dinner with a, you know, with a couple people that'll talk sports with me and whatever. It doesn't matter. Like I got a couple days left anyway. So who gives a shit? So I was like, I'll go out and have dinner and went out, had dinner. 
uh, laid eyes on her, I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. So like, she's an attractive young lady, uh, which I didn't expect, but that was cool. Uh, but I sat down with her and her mom. We talked all night. We laughed, we joked, we goofed off. Um, and it was the three of us. And then, you know, her and her mom left. Um, and then we hung out for a little bit. And then the next night they were like, Hey, we're going to do dinner and stuff. If you want to have drinks. And I was like, sure. Why not? So dinner and drinks, um, again, not thinking anything really yeah. right? like yeah. go out. And, um, so she asked me like, Hey, what's your story or whatever. And, and I told her, um, cause funny enough, I was, so I was wearing my ring that night. I was wearing it on purpose because I was like, this will kind of like keep her from, there'll be no, like the first night I was like, there'll be no flirting. There'll be no nothing. Like it'll keep, you know, you're never gonna see this person again. It'll keep a separate wall up. Right. Yeah. So like, cool. Sounds good. So, um, I was off, I was just off the grid anyways. I was weird. Um, so then I said something, I was like, oh, you know, she's like, uh, what's going on in your life? And I was like, oh, this, this. And I just had like a moment where I was like, yeah, this is what I went through and it is what it is, but life's shitty. And I said something, I don't remember exactly what I said, obviously, but I remember what she said and her exact words. She was like, so you just want to be a martyr for the rest of your life? Huh. And I was like, oh, fuck you. Like, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. How about, how about you're an asshole right now? <laughs> uh, but like that yeah. struck me and it struck me to my absolute and utter core as a human. Like, I didn't know what to do with that because it was like, what do you mean? I'm not supposed to be a victim. Like I'm supposed to be a victim. Like our society now loves victimhood. Right. Like, and so she's just like, yeah, I don't care about that. Like, I don't care about your victimhood. Like, and, and, uh, and, and the important thing too is, you know, a part of why we met also is we were talking about her sister who had been killed over in Thailand. So in October, this October will be 10 years that her sister was killed. And so mm -hmm. her life was turned upside down from that. Sure. And so she had worked through that. Like she worked through that and did some amazing things on the way. And so by the time she got to me, she'd already been into Stoic philosophy. She'd already been into mm -hmm. CBT. She'd already started to work through all these things, uh, changing the dynamics of her life. So I called her, you know, well into her advancing as a human, which was amazing. Um, and then I fought through that day that I was going to kill myself. I fought through it and I didn't, uh, it was an absolute wreck, but I was like, I have to get through today. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put my life back together after trying to tear it all down and end it. Yeah. And, and I made it through that day. And so she went back to Australia cause that's where she's from. So like, I, I never thought I'd see her again. Um, and then for the next six months, it was just me on my own. And then she came back to, you know, it was just me, just me fixing myself. And that was hard work, but I did it. That's when I opened my entire life up. And I was like, every single thing in here, I'm going to start working on. And I just made the decision that I was going to, I ran a lot of miles every day. I would run a minimum every day of three, but it was usually like six to 10 miles a day. My feet are still wrecked from it. Um, I was just messed up. Uh, and I was just like everything I'd run and cry. I didn't care. I was just like, I'm going to just, I'm going to run. I'm going to I'm going to structure my life. I'm going to eat everything exactly this. I'm going to do all these things and put real structure in my life. And I'm about to figure the fuck out and I'm going to figure out who I am and what I want. And I just did that. And then we met up six months after that, when she was out in like Idaho and Utah. Uh, I helped her cause she was like, she had a good idea to go speak in Idaho in December. And I was like, hold on. You've never driven on the other side of the road. You've never driven in snow. You don't know where you're at and you're a single young lady by yourself. You're going to need somebody to be with you. So I manipulated my schedule to where I could be there. Uh, got to spend a couple of days with her. Uh, we got to talk and everything else. Uh, and then she went back again. Uh, and so for the really for the first 
two years. Uh, I think we probably spent a whopping two months together, you know, in the first mm-hmm. two years we were together, maybe a little bit more than that, but not much. Um, and it was just talking back and forth while I was just working on myself. Um, and then through work and everything else that she did, she was able to, you know, finally get a, you know, get her business. I don't know all the visas, but the, right. the business visa that allows her to come and live in America. And then, yeah, we're going to have our wedding in December, um, this December in Australia. So I'm excited about that. But um, yeah, it was, it was that I met the human, you know, like I'm assuming that when people go through, you know, ranger school or you know, they go through Robin Sage or they go through some kind of something that is like high level, whatever. And they're testing themselves at the limits to see what they're made of. Um, and then they have to run into that thing that like beats their ass and then they get through it and they're like, okay, I can do whatever now I'm trying to use some kind of an analogy. Um, I imagine that's what she was for me. Like I went up against the wall and there was no mercy and there was no sympathy. It was, there was empathy, but no sympathy. And she's like, there'll be no, like, I don't want anything to do with a man thinks he's a victim of anything and i was like well, i can fucking dig that so and that's how i that's why i uh that's yeah that's why we are i'd like to think we're a pretty kick-ass couple now because of that yeah. um so but she she didn't like sit there with me through all of it she told me the things i needed to fix and then she was gone and then i had to fix them um and it wasn't like if you fix them you get me it was just like hey we just happened to be in contact and it our life ended up working out and coming together but it very well could not have and if it didn't i still would had to have gotten to where i am now and it still would be because of her um she was the catalyst that pushed me through and then from there i started truly working on myself um long way to go and i've got a lot of shit that i got to unpack still in life like so many of us do um but I'm not a victim of anything now. Like, was did that allow you to be able to talk openly about the sexual assault? She's the first person I ever told. Okay. That I ever told that I got past like the first sentence, and I weeped like a child. I cried and assumed that when, and I told her because I was weak in that moment when, she, like, over Zoom like this when she was in Australia. That way, she oh. could just close the laptop and never speak to me again, assuming she was going to do that. And she was the first, and then she was like, okay. And then she was like, you need to have this conversation with your mom. And of course, at that point, I was like, well, you're insane. Uh, so, but yeah, like that is legit, like how that she's the first person I told my mom. Um, my mom and my stepdad were the second people that I uh, told them. And then I told my sisters. And, you know, but like it was a process to tell the people closest to me before I told anybody else, uh, before I mentioned it out loud or anything else. Um, but yeah, it was. It was her, man. Like, (laughs) what did it mean to start sharing that publicly then with strangers? Like, did that, was it anything at that point where you over the hump and you were like, Hey, I'm cool. I've processed this and it's out there. Or did it still feel very vulnerable for you to be sharing that? It still feels very vulnerable. Right. So it still feels, you know, in moments, right. So I don't like go around telling, I'm talking about it here because I know it's like, it's important. Right. I know that there is, because I know that there are people that are hiding that shit and they won't fucking say it and they need to understand that like it will be the best thing i want you like if somebody's like wrestling with that i want them to imagine being held down underwater with somebody with their hands wrapped around their fucking throat and they're about to die they're about to drown and just simply be starved of oxygen and then i want you to imagine somebody releases you and lets you come up out of that water that moment did you finally mm-hmm. tell somebody that is the clo- i don't know what else that like i don't know what to equate it i've never had a day 
in I've never had any situation in the military in any combat scenario or anything else in the never a fist fight or anything in life where I've ever felt that rush of freedom come over me after finally saying that out loud. I've never felt anything like it. It was terrifying. Yeah. And it yeah. made a whole lot of more work need to be done, but it was the most freeing thing ever. Did you ever regret saying it to somebody where you were like, oh shit, this was the wrong time or place or person? No, no, because I haven't had it come up. I've never broached the topic with anybody inside of a setting where it didn't need to be brought mm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I definitely am aware of it. And I, I've said it on the, I said it on the, I talked about it a little bit on the podcast early and then I went away from it for a while. Yeah. And then yeah. I've mentioned it here and there and I will. Uh, but I know it's because in that moment it, it makes sense and it. There's a connection to me or that person or some kind of a trial or tribulation or something, but like, I'm very aware of it because what I never want anybody to do is to hear it and think, Oh, you poor guy, you victim. Right. And right. that, so I'm very cognizant of that, right? Because I don't, I, they don't, you're very aware of the uniforms and, you know, we get all these little pretty little ribbons and shit all over our uniform. I don't want anybody to post that on me on my chest. Like that's a ribbon. That ain't a fucking ribbon. And so like, that's a, it's, it's a horrible thing to be, uh, uh, to have happened to a human. Um, but like, I refuse to wear that shit as a victim. So I'm very careful when I bring it up. Um, I'm very careful when I, uh, who I bring it up with or how I bring it up. Right. Um, um, it's primarily on the podcast Uh, that way it's, it's one way. So that way, if the person feels it and they feel motivated or inspired to reach out to me, that's fine. Or if they, what I really hope is they feel inspired to reach out to somebody that they care deeply, that loves them. Um, so I talk about it in that way. It's usually a one-way conversation. I'm not afraid to have that with a, you know, in two-way in, a, in person. Um, but I usually it's something like this where I know they can turn that off or they can do whatever with it. Um, right, right. You know, they can motherfuck me. Uh, if they want. They can <laughs> right. do whatever they want, but right. I can't. I'm not there for it. Uh, and it allows them to be with themselves in it. So, because if you're not ready to hear it, you are not yeah. ready to hear it. Yeah. So it's. Um, I mean, there's. These are individual inflection points that you brought up from your dad, the abuse, um, your your first marriage, and all that. That I can, it. I, I don't even think I have to ask why you started the podcast, but I'll ask it anyway. Is it for any other reason other than the obvious uh, coming off of those three events at least? Or was no, it that's it. Like, I mean, I just I love people, and I thought I have to. Uh, yeah. I mean, I felt a duty. I felt the duty, the same thing as wearing the uniform. I felt a duty of, Hey, I've grown through this. And if I hadn't have grown through it, I would have killed myself. So I should probably not be an asshole and think that I can't help others, uh, and help others. And I love to help people. So it's funny. I can do it and detach from the embarrassment, uh, super easy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I say the embarrassment of, you know, like talking about different subjects is embarrassing, right? Like right. I will talk about suicide with people in my uniform openly. I have no problem with that because I'm tired of fucking getting those phone calls. Sure. I am tired of that shit. Um, uh, but when it comes to like the sexual abuse and stuff, that's like I said, a little different, but um, yeah, man, I did that because I, I don't care what world you come from. 
Yeah. I, d- I don't care what your background is. Uh, you, you got something you're dealing with and maybe I can throw something out there or one of my guests can. And, and that's really where you're going to get the most from is them. But And focusing on manhood specifically seems like that. I mean, I think it's pretty clear where that came from. Right. And yeah. what the impetus was for that. Yep. Um, have you ever, so it's funny. Do you ever uh, read Harvey Mansfield's book? Um, I, I don't know if that name re- means anything to you. No, you read this book. So he's a he's a, a professor, longtime professor at Princeton. Um, really, I live I lived like five minutes from the university. That's fucking insane. Yeah, he's like a really um, really well known professor there because he's been there forever and he's written a lot of books, um, usually on uh, different philosophical subjects and all that, but he wrote a book called manliness and um, it's an incredible book. And I actually, knowing I was going to talk to you, I went back, I hadn't read it in several years and I went back and I was like, uh, I was like, damn, I, I got to run this by Nate and see what you think. So um, I want to read you just one of the things he says in his preface about why he wrote about manliness. He says, manliness seeks and welcomes drama and prefers times of war, conflict, and risk. Manliness brings change or restores order at moments when routine is not enough, when the plan fails, when the whole idea of rational control by modern science develops leaks. Manliness is the next to last resort before resignation and prayer. And then he says later on, he says, manliness, however, seems to be about 50-50 good and bad. <laughs> that there's <laughs> evil and good that comes with it. And that he, and I think uh, I didn't highlight this, but he said, uh, let me see if I can just quickly find it. He said, um, but the, basically, yeah, you, oh, that, I think this is it. The good, uh, yeah, uh, the basically good and manliness solves the problems that it causes. That's it. There he says this. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, if it is good, Maybe that's because it's the only remedy for the trouble it causes, mm-hmm. which I think is really freaking interesting. And that's all in the in the preface. And then he goes on, obviously, in, into greater depth with it. Um, I, I, I'll kind of lay that at your feet as kind of a bag of ideas to to pick and choose what you want to drill into from that. But I thought it was a really interesting way of looking at manliness. And I guess I'll put that in form of a question: How do you see manhood or manliness? yourself it's it's funny that's why i have the podcast so we can try to figure this out right yeah, like it really yeah. is by the way i'm buying that book uh is he still alive like is he is, he is he is he's you know i'm going to be trying know. to reach out to him like immediately Re- to try please to like, do oh that would God. be an incredible like, conversation yeah i would i will go to him happily he uh, i had a different professor from princeton on before uh and about different something different um but yeah wow um yeah, what is manliness? It's funny you say in there, like, you know, you're talking about war, talking about chaos. And all this, I feel very comfortable when chaos hits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is maybe when I think I just, well, I don't, maybe I'll answer it in this way and then we can unpack it together and figure out how I'm answering this question. I feel my most manliest, if I, if I can say it like that. I feel my most manliest in two circumstances, either one, when shit goes off the rails and you need me to operate in a chaotic environment, 
I believe because of dealing with internal and mental and emotional chaos inside, I feel very comfortable with outside chaos now. I'm not a freaking hero. I'm not going to like, you know, I'm not John Wick. Uh, you know, I'm not friggin', you know, I'm not going to dominate you on the mats or anything. I don't mean like that, but just like, I feel very calm and comfortable in chaos. So I feel very manly when shit goes weird and somebody needs, they need me to step up and handle a situation. I feel very manly then. You need me to deploy. You need me to do this thing. Fine. I love that. You are expecting the most manly. And obviously I've deployed with women. So womanly, if you want to say, I don't care. I'm not, mm -hmm. but we're focusing on men. I feel the most manly when I am needed deeply in a situation where there could be chaos. And I feel the, the other time that I feel the absolute most manly is when I can have a deep emotional connection with my girl. I feel very manly then. And I, I never did before, but I, but the reason why I do is because I realize that I could be as vulnerable as fucking humanly possible with her. And on the back end of that, have the most beautiful conversations and deep, horrible conversations that lead to like some beautiful stuff. And she still lets me sit in my manhood and be a man. And so I've learned that those are the two times that I feel the most manly in my life when I need to physically do a thing in a chaotic situation or that like we went for a walk yesterday. We went for a walk and somebody's dog like they had left the house and their door accidentally was open. And we go walking by with our dog. It's like 35 pounds. Uh, and we had another dog with us, my sister's dog with us, but, and their dog just comes running out and attacking my dog, just like mm -hmm. immediately attacks. Right. Mm -hmm. And like scratches Katie's leg and like goes bananas. Right. And I just reached down and I picked up my dog and I just held my dog up, picked him up. And I was like, you go to the house. I will take care of this. And then just like, you know, trying to punt the dog away. And she goes and takes the other dog and leaves. And then I get somebody to get the dog. And I'm, but like, when, when that happened and she's like, are you okay? I was like, I am fine. Are you okay? Like after that happened, mm -hmm. I don't mean like beat my chest, feel that. But like in that moment, I'm like, I was needed as a man. I was needed as a man in that moment. That's a silly little thing, but it's like something super simple, right? Wait, it's like, I want to, I want to drill into that for a second. Would you have felt the same if you hadn't played rugby, hadn't gone in the military, in other words, if you weren't equipped for conflict based on your experiences, would no. you have felt the same way? So, I, so I wonder: is there so there's a training component? It seems like to absolutely, be man, right? I agree. Oh, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I think yeah. there is. Yeah, I think there really is. I think um, I just went through a course uh, a couple of, well, I guess, a month and a half ago or so. Now it's like a it's like almost a month long course. And it's not the crazy; it's a course, but it's land nav, and we're doing you know combative. So you're wrestling on the mats during the day, and you're shooting guns, you know, and you're doing a lot of uh, fun shit, right? Guys and girls mixed in, right? But it was good training, right? And I and I looked around and I noticed how many people were really scared to get on a mat really mm. scared to shoot a gun, really scared to be in charge in a drill or do something. And I had no problem with that. I was the team sergeant for it. I was the old man, you know, can imagine yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was, it wasn't even close. I was like five years older than the next oldest person. It was bad. Uh, but, uh, you know, almost everybody in there active duty. So like, I'm a legend, you know, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur now. I'm a, I'm a legacy person. Um, 
But I'm noticing how many young people in those situations on day one were terrified to lock up with another person. They were terrified to be in any situation where they could be exposed. And then 12, 14, 15 hours of combatives later, whatever it was, I don't know, wrestling around on the mats. I'm watching young men and young women try to just beat the living shit out of each other on a mat and going hard. They're like, hey, go 50% and they don't give a damn. They just go 100% the minute they start. And watching that thing where they are now like acting like the full version of themselves and what they're capable of in that moment was beautiful. And I think that, I think they, I think theater can train you for that. Anything can train you for that stressful moment and that thing, right? Like it just can. Like you train, you you know, you train inside of your world over and over and over and over again to the point that when you do it, it looks like it's, it's, it's easy or it's, you know, it's, oh, it's this or it's that. And it, no, it, that shit took training. It took, you had to calm your brain, calm your movements, calm everything. I, I think that is a, there is a real training to being a man. There's a real training in it. There has to be. If there's not like what the, we wouldn't have a fucking problem with it. Yeah, because because the potential for damage from men, I think, is higher than for women. I mean, yeah. certainly women can be evil and twisted and all that, sure. But when you don't train young men well, fucking Chaos. civilizations crumble. Yeah, yes, they I mean, do. We're watching can it happen. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. Talk about yeah, what what it. that what that means with with young men that aren't trained because i and i think there is something with you know it, it's easy to say yeah just join the military but it's rare to find a structure to train a young man and to force you to deal with primal fears that you otherwise would not deal with whether it's something fear of heights claustrophobia um getting gassed you know whatever having to fight you know things like that and it willfully puts you in those situations that you just are going to have to deal with that discomfort and there's very few other places in society that have that structure set up yeah unless you seek them out which very few people have motivation to do because it is uncomfortable and why would you seek that out so what happens to men if you don't train them that way in your opinion what do you what do you think is the damage why can't someone simply be a good gardener why can't they just go and live a life of tranquil zen what's the harm in that why do they need to seek out the conflict i think it's because they won't know any better and that's the scary thing like i think they'll be like what's the harm in it i don't need to know that until you do but it also means that you'll never actually realize if you don't test yourself on something that there is another thing inside of you. There's a dog inside of you. There's a demon. There's a this. There's a that. There's a thing when you and I'm, I'm not talking about like jujitsu or boxing. I'm not talking about a specific thing. I'm not talking about a gunfight. I'm, I'm not talking. I'm talking about any of the whatever insert whatever the thing is that takes you to that level and tests you as a. And your manhood, it tests you on actually what it is, right? Like there was a guy at the gym like two years ago. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it wasn't that long ago. It was this kid who's out there like messing around. He's like up in the stairwell and he's like shadow boxing, but he's like up on his toes and he's all he's all over the place. He's just and he's like trying to act tough. And and I don't recommend this to people. Uh, but I walked up to him and I was like, Hey man, what's up, man? You box? And he's like, whatever I want to do. Like he was just like super young, right? Super young kid. 
acting tough, right? Acting like he was somebody walking around in his wife beater, doing this, doing that. And then I saw him in the mall a couple of days later and he's like walking around and he's like walking around all tough. And he's a scrawny little kid, he's a scrawny little asshole. Like you can tell he just gets his ass beat in about 10 seconds. And I saw him, he's like just acting tough, trying to act cool. And I was like, boy, that would have been me when I was his age. So we were at the gym a couple of days after that. And he's acting tough, walking around, like dancing, rapping loudly, just acting like an idiot. Yeah. And he's back up in the up in the top area, and there's nobody up there. I was like, "Hey, man, hey, you want to maybe try to do this? Like, you know, when you're when you're doing that, maybe you maybe you want to be a little quieter or something. Everybody else is working around you." And he's like, "What are you going to do about it?" And I was I was just sitting there, and I'm a very nice person. I like to be a very nice person. And I was like, "Do you see that door over there?" And he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "If I close that, nobody can see in this room. I'll beat you till you're fucking dead." And he looked at me, and I was like, "How did that make you feel?" And he just was like, oh. I was like, don't move to the door. And I could see he was immediately scared. And I was like, you're acting tough and you're not. Go get tough for real. Go get actually tough. And then you won't have to act tough. And then I just walked out of that room. And that scrawny little friggin' 19 year old kid or whatever, probably just like thought like I was a complete and utter idiot. Uh, he didn't even so much as come near me. And I knew he wouldn't, right? Like he wasn't yeah. going to, he was, yeah. he was trying to act like something. So in that moment, I didn't look at that, like, oh, I'm big and tough. I looked at that, like he needs a man to teach him a lesson. I'm not going to lay hands on him. I'm not going to, but he needs to have a fear. He needs to feel fear and what fear actually is right now. And like him feeling that, like, that's all he needed. I have no idea what ever happened to him, but I saw him at the gym a couple of times after that. And he wasn't jumping around, acting like an asshole. He was like trying to exercise and he was like, you know, minding his business. And he kind of like looked at me a couple of times and I just smiled and, you know, nodded and he didn't say nothing, but I was like, I'm hoping that that scared him. I hope he felt actually felt fear, right? You have to feel it. You have to test yourself. Like I've been punched in the mouth and it sucks, but it feels good also. Like running into another human on a rugby field, building up a head of steam and running into them and feeling your flesh and your bones wrap and contort around them and then them doing the same to you and then them running you into the ground until all the air in your lungs expires and you are down on the ground trying to get up and fight and push. People are all around you and it's blood and it's sweat and it's filth. It's awesome. And then you get up and you do that for 80 minutes over and over and over again. And your body feels like shit and your lungs are burning and you, and you hate those humans on the other side. And then they blow the whistle and you shake their hands and you get a beer and you live your life and you love it. And you go back and pay your bills and you go to work yeah, on Monday. Yeah, like, and yeah. it feels so good, but you then know you are capable of a thing in a moment. You're capable of a thing. And I think that is what you have to do if you want to, you have to educate yourself well beyond that in the mind. But I think when it comes down to physical, I read a lot of books, just like you read a lot, like we love books. I read a lot of books, but that's great. You got to apply that shit. Same thing when it comes that's, to That's a big point. Yeah. So can you be a man without the physical exposure? Without, no. You don't think so? I don't think you can be. It doesn't mean you have to like walk around punching people in the face all the time. I would never do that at the gym to any other human. I just saw that scrawny little kid, saw me and him when I was his age and was like, 
somebody needs to punch him in the mouth and he better hope that somebody doesn't before he learns how to punch back. Um, but I don't think, I do not think as a man that you can become the full-fledged version of yourself if you do not experience some form of physical violence and or just, I don't know, aggression. Aggression is the word. You don't have to do it through sport, but you can. You don't have to do it through military, but you can. It doesn't matter if you get in the backyard with your brother and you beat the hell out of each other at some point. You have felt some form of something. Like we had passages. You had ways to get to become a man before. Like part of what helps me be a better version of man is that there's no real reason for me to fight ever again. Right. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean I won't, yeah. but like yeah. there's there's zero reason in life for me to ever need to get in a fist fight. There's zero reason for me to go like yeah. now when I look at war and I, you know, yesterday uh, we're recording right now, yesterday being the closing of the just yeah. ugh, of Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and I have real vicious things that I would, you know, visceral things that I feel um, towards that. However, I don't need to ever see us go to war ever again, ever. But. I'm so glad I lived through a time when we did. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense, it does make sense. I mean, so one of the what, and I'm I always paraphrase Shakespeare's line on this because I like my paraphrasing more than <laughs> I like his line, which is about the most cocky fucking thing I can I say. Love that. But but he says uh, in Henry V, uh, when Henry V is staying there at the um, uh, before the Battle of Agincourt, and the the French king sends his messenger to Henry constantly trolling him and saying, you know, are you, are, are you ready to quit yet? Your people are tired. They're sick. We haven't even fought yet. You know, you've been fighting your way through France. Now the Dauphin, the whole French army are there in front of you, all these knights in gleaming armor. And he sends the messenger out and Henry just basically, you know, shrugs and it's like, look, we're sick. We're tired. All we want is passage to be able to get back home. Uh, and uh, and he says, but in summation, messenger, as we are, we do not seek a fight, but neither as we are, will we run from it. Amen. And I'm like, that's the, and that's the warrior in the garden as opposed that's to the gardener in a war. You know, that's and I right. think I think there's there is absolute beauty to that. I want to pick up, though, on that piece of about aggression, because I wonder um and I was thinking while you were talking about this, I was trying to think of counterexamples of people that, to the best of my knowledge, and I don't know a lot of these people personally, but to the best of my knowledge, didn't have long careers or or even a lot of moments of physical aggression. And I'm thinking of like lawyers, like high-end aggressive power lawyers or accountants or uh, you know politicians in some case that are aggressive and are used to aggression, but it's never physical. And I was thinking what is the training ground for that? Is that enough to get to the core of their manhood and to make them be fully expressed, um, having these intellectual or verbal sparring or emotional, you know, sparring sessions, is that enough? Or do you actually need the physical component? And the, every counterexample I kept thinking of, and this is not, you know, dispossessive this is not uh, you know this does not mean i'm i'm right on this i'm just thinking out loud but i kept thinking of like your joel silvers who's a big hollywood producer who's now in a lot of shit because he's such an asshole but you know he's powerful he's aggressive and all that and i was like i don't know i have no knowledge of his life but i was thinking 
I bet he grew up in Brooklyn in the 60s or 70s, and he probably had fistfights going mm-hmm. to and from school as the Jewish kid going from a Jewish neighborhood to like a Polish neighborhood or something like, like there probably was something where in his background that gave him that aggression. And I, but it it did make me wonder. I was like, boy, it, it, well, this is where I actually went. The piece that you sent me about your writing, where you were very quick to say that when you were teased by your best friend for writing, you quickly like caveat and say, and that's cool because it's two boys figuring out their boundaries and figuring out how to defend their turf. And that to me is probably the best defense I can think of for bullying. And that's a dangerous thing to say, because obviously bullying sucks and all that, but it's like, but it's like, without that, you know, Joel Silver didn't have to go and I'm I'm not holding him up as some paragon of virtue or manhood. Let me be clear about that. But just as a, as an example, he didn't have to go be a professional boxer. He didn't have to go play rugby. He didn't even have to maybe do organized sports after 11, for all That's I right. know, to end up being successful and aggressive for better or for worse. Let's just say yeah. that. Yeah. But but there had to be some degree of standing up for yourself st- and, and facing adversity with physical stakes, whether or not those ever played out. But there had to be physical stakes involved so that your blood did go up, so there was some molding, there was some crafting of your character. Yeah. Right. And that, and that, that may be it, that, that that's what's needed that you need. And that there is um, that sense of um, that there is a certain revelation from bullying. And I, and I, I, I'm going to say that on my last point, sir, I'm just throwing a bag of ideas out here, but you know, in the military, you can tell, I think the guys, I was always impressed with guys who, when shit was talked about them to their face, knew immediately how to self-deprecate. They knew immediately how to stand yes. up for themselves. They knew where all the boundaries were because they'd been tested so much. And maybe it was because yep. they came from broken homes. Maybe it's because they had you know, adversity growing up or whatever. But I remember at basic, the guys that had just come from county versus the guys that were 18 and had just left a nice, loving two-parent home and yep. and and all that. And there was a growing curve and both of them could manage it. But it, like some guys were used to the adversity and other guys were like, you know, they were like feeder mouse, feeder mice going into the, the, the snake's nest. And it was like, done. oh, hey, hey, what's this friendly animal? It's like, oh, shit. Wait, I've, I've never seen a snake before. I've never seen what that looks like. Absolutely. That's a that's a real thing. And I think there are levels to it, right? Like there's yeah. when it comes down to the standard version of aggression, I'd say that like those lawyers, do they. I'm using going back to that, uh, you know, before we do like the basic training, it's funny, the basic training thing. Um, but uh, I look at the lawyers and I go, well, do they or do they not realize there's a facade? Because if one of those lawyers throws a punch at the other one in the face and everything just got real, how's the other one going to act? Is he about to run away or is he about to stay? I'm not talking about winning a fight. I'm talking about being willing. That dump of emotion and f- you know what I'm talking about, that thing your body feels when you realize that something physical is about to happen to you or could happen to you, that shit is real. Doesn't mean you can only be a man to feel it. Women can feel it too. But when it comes to, but that said, we've, we've, uh, you know, we've both now know women who have put their time in on the ground on a war or women who are in, you know, MMA or something like we, something where those women, women are 
pushing themselves and they are doing the things that like not that long ago they were told they couldn't do, right? It was taboo. And now mm. they're able to do that. You want to talk about powerful women like that push themselves and do stuff, right? Same thing for men. I will take, I will take 10 women in a fucking street brawl that have like done some form of something, some form of aggression. And, and here's the terrible thing. Or a man has been an asshole to them in the past and abused them. Yeah. But they've come back from that. I'll yeah. take 10 women in a brawl in the streets against any dude who's never thrown a punch or never felt anything where his back's to the wall any day of the week because they're going to, they're just, they know that thing, right? Same thing with a man. They know that. So there's an aggression. Like you either think you know aggression or you felt aggression for real. Like I know that I'm not going to pick a bunch of fights because I don't feel like getting my ass beat. Cause the last time I checked, I'm not a professional on anything when it comes to right, fighting, right. but like, I know how to verbally, you know, I know verbal judo. I know how to move my way around a conversation. If it starts to get heated to where I don't need to fight anymore, because I've tested myself in those ways now when I was young and I don't want to do that anymore. So I want to use my words and like, you know, actually think through things. Um, when I look at like basic training, you talk about that. I got in a fist fight in the day room, the day, the night before families are like coming to visit and everything else. Right. And mm. there was the big dude the, in the air force. I don't know what they call it in the other branches, but in the air force, the dorm chief is like the, the, then he's the dude of all the trainees that is in charge. Right. Mm. And then there are like the, the leaders there's what the hell they call them. I don't know. Like, oh, it's been too long. Uh, element leaders, they call them element leaders. And they're like, I don't know, dude. I can't remember this show. I'm so terrible with it. But like there were four <laughs> yeah. of us that were supposed to be like in charge of an element, yeah. right? And so I was one yeah. of them. And then there was the dorm chief. Dorm chief is quite, you know, typically, and which is what it was in ours. He was the biggest, strongest dude, right? So they were like, mm -hmm. you're the biggest meathead. You're in charge. So they put the biggest meathead in charge. And I think he had like two classes in college. So like he was definitely smarter than me. Uh, so they put him in charge. And the last day he said something, the last day we were in there, right? And he was, he was a bully. Right now, I got along with him, right. but like he was a bully. Um, he never bothered me, right? He always, but he always was fucking with people, right? And yeah. He was a bully, right? And everybody backed down, everybody backed down from him nonstop over and over and over again because they didn't want to get in trouble because he had all the power, right? Yeah. And then the night, the night before, we're sitting in the day room is like a relaxed night. We actually have like time to chill do your stuff. Families are coming the next day and we're doing this. We're doing that. We're talking about whatever. And he said, some, he said something. I don't know what he said something. And there was a kid that was, that was, imagine that there was a kid that was next to me. Who was kind of like, he was scrawny. He was, he was coming as a linguist, man. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was coming in to do one thing. He was smart. He knew like three languages already. And he was, you know, he was just getting through basics. So he could get away, get away from the rest of us ignorant people and go to school. Uh, but he was super smart, but he like said something. He like made fun of him. And I was like, Hey man, we don't need to do that. And he just like looked at me. He's like, I'll do what I want. And I was like, no, you won't. And I just was like, I'm not okay with that. And he's just like, I will beat the shit out of you. He's big. He was a big, he played, he was a linebacker uh, for like one college semester here, at like Rutgers or some shit. And then he went in the air for it. He was a, not a little dude. Yeah. And he was just like, he said something. And I was like, Hey dude, like no reason to go there. Like no reason to do that. He was like, I'm going to fuck you up. I was like, how about you try? And I just like stood up immediately and felt that rage and emotion come over me. Right. And then everybody broke us up. And funny enough, the two of us ended up becoming very good friends, but like nobody had even done that. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, why yeah. has nobody stood up? Like why? Like, 
because everybody broke us up. And if he had a thrown one punch, he would have killed me. However, I was willing to go to that death. Like, yeah. You know, like it sounds stupid, right? But right. like, and that's not like me being awesome. I would have died. Like he would have pummeled my face in. I was, there's yeah. no way. Like I was 5'8", weighed 145 pounds. He was probably 6'4", probably weighed 230. He would have killed me. Um, But like, it just didn't make sense to back down because if you back down, he's got all the power. And why the hell does he need power in this setting? Like that didn't make sense. And it was that kind of a thing. And it like, but that That, comes from. that's That's a remarkable poise on your part at that age. I mean, that was basic training. You hadn't even gone in the military that much. So looking at all the, all the wickets you still had to go through you know, as you were overcoming obstacles and all that, like you hadn't overcome that much at that point, yet you still had that intrinsic sense of justice. You want to put your ass on the line. Well, think, that's, that's remarkable. I mean, that, that's, I think I had a moment, I think I had a moment, um, a moment where I, I did the uh, Will Ferrell thing in old school where I blacked out and like said all the stuff. And then I was just like, what happened? I blacked out. That's probably <laughs> all it was, but I just remember thinking like yeah. this dude's got power now. And I think maybe yeah. in the back, I hadn't really thought about that. I actually have not thought about that in damn near since it happened until just now. Mm -hmm. Right. But I remember that, but maybe just, maybe it was that thing in the back of my mind where like a couple of times people had taken power from me and I didn't fucking like it. And I didn't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. yet, but like, I didn't like it. That's not a good feeling. I don't understand why people do that. I I do not understand why, um, why people in leadership positions feel the need to instill their position of leadership by showing like how much more power they have. I want to see how elegant of a leader you can be. I want you to show me and prove to me that you have, I'm not an easy person to lead uh, because I want to see it. You're going to earn it. You're going to earn it because we didn't all come from the same households growing up, the same backgrounds coming up. We don't have, we didn't have the same mamas and daddies, not the same neighborhoods, not the same anything. So you don't know shit about me. So if you want to come in and you want to try to instill your power over me by just showing me, I'm going to see if that's really what you're about. Cause if so, I want to, I want to test you on it. But if you show up and you have a, you carry yourself with a compassion and you carry yourself with confidence and you're willing to get in there and mix it up and you're willing to show me that you can be vulnerable and you're willing to show me that you can lead me and you know this more than I do, but you're going to help me get there, not hold it over me. If you do all that, I'll go to war for you. Like I'll like, But I, so I don't get why leaders, I have never understood that why you need to like demonstrate your power. As soon as I see it, I know I'm like, oh, you're just a bitch. Like, that's what you are. Like you have a thing inside of you that you're afraid that people will find. I know that because I used to have it. Like you have the thing where you're scared that they're going to find out the truth about you. It's okay. Like let them find out about it. Like, I don't know. And I, cause I don't, I don't know, man. I I don't know. I I think a lot of times people don't have the language for it. They, they like, I think even people academically, like there's so much training, um, you know, in NCOES, I think about toxic leadership, how not to be a toxic leader, identify toxic leadership and all that. And that's fine. And probably a lot of assholes know that they're assholes in those leadership positions. I agree. But they don't have the language. They don't have the semantics to be able they're like, I don't know how to deal with this, this, and this type of personality. If they come at me. I don't have a language. I don't have a mental framework for dealing with it. So my only recourse is to piss on trees, mark territory, set boundaries yeah. that are assholic. But it's like it, there's no other capability um, behind that. I watched. I don't, it know. Happen the, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I watched it happen the other day. Um, 
in a conference, all right, in a military conference. We were down at a conference. I'm going to leave quite a few of the details out because I don't know why, but I, I think it's probably proper to leave the details out. But we were at a conference related to the Air Force, um, and we were at this, me and another one of my buddies, and he saw this one guy, right? So he saw, he's like, dude, I remember working for that guy 15 years ago. What a fucking dickhead. And he was a fucking dickhead. And I was like, oh, well, why was he a dickhead? We're drinking a beer. And he's like, dude, he did this, this, and this. He's just always a dick, man. Now he's a, like... Now he's a chief. Like now he's like the highest rank. He's like, imagine that. Like, go figure. Uh, and I was like, yeah. So didn't think anything about it. Fast forward a day. It's the after party because if there's one thing I do know about aviators, we know how to throw some after parties. Uh, so, but we're at an after party and there's a junior NCO and him. And they're just, you know, as Katie would say, they're shit stirring back and forth, right? They're just talking shit. They're just having fun. We're all, we're all drinking. We're all having, everybody's having fun. That's what we do. We razz each other, right? Like mm-hmm. we test those boundaries all yeah. the time, all yeah. the things, blah, 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 blah. But the conversation as the beer kept flowing, the conversation started to get a little bit louder and a little bit different. I'm watching this. I'm just watching this happen. And then at a certain point, this junior NCO, highly intelligent, by the way, but definitely not physically domineering like he was not physically going to dominate this conversation or this environment but he was super smart we paid this dude to be like really really smart in his head and he was really smart in his head and he and he got him he said the thing and it like you could see it and like the brain clicked and the other guy was like i'm too dumb to respond to this and he didn't know how to do it and then he just was like well, at least I'm not a fat piece of shit, blah, 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 blah. And just started going down this, like he just had to like right. throw the insults, right? right. Like, but right. they were both doing it equally, right? And then at a certain point, he turned the corner and then he was just like, and he started to bow up and he's like, don't let me, don't make me remind you, you know, who I yeah. am. And it was yeah. like, oh, yeah. okay. So he put up his protection. Yeah. His rank was his protection, right? Yeah. So I saw this happen. And then eventually the younger dude just got so pissed that like, he was not able, like he couldn't say anything back without being reminded that like they had to remove him. They're like, we got to go. They like moved him out of there. Right. Then the next day, this dude's on stage talking and he's in a very prominent position inside of, you know, inside of our world. And I, my buddy said next to me, I was like, you know, he's talking right now. And there are a couple hundred people here and nobody gives a fuck what he's saying because they all know he's an asshole and he's supposed to be a leader. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, he's actually talking about the most, one of the most important things we're going to talk about for the entirety of this week that shapes the future of the Air Force and our little world and our little thing. I'm going to be very vague on this. And he's talking and nobody in here is listening and everybody's missing the point because he's a fuckwit and doesn't know how to be a leader because he's just the asshole who just said, I have this rank, so I'm in charge. And I, I, I couldn't believe that. And like that night, he was like bullshit. And he's like, oh, what do you do? Trying to talk to me. I was like, nothing important. And just walked off. Like, I don't even want to deal with this dude. I don't even want to talk to him. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore him. And he's going to know that I'm telling him to stay the hell away. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. But like, that kind of thing is exactly what it was, right? Like, I watched it happen. And I was like, yeah. wow, that's toxic yeah. leadership. Like, here's yeah. a guy who just straight up goes, I'm going to use the meritocracy to protect my weaknesses right now. And I'm going to try to expose your weaknesses by using the meritocracy to hide behind, you know, hide mine. And I'm going to just do this down the chain and you have to take it in front of all of your peers 
and you don't have a choice. And I was like, like, that's basically what he was doing. And I was like, yeah. wow, yeah. you're a useless piece of shit. And like, why have they let you wear the uniform for this many years? Like I, that's, I was just like, that's unbelievable. Yeah. But like, that's an example, but I, I, and and I don't want to come off like I'm like, it's weird. Like, I don't want to come off like I'm like, I'm not the physically the strongest person you'll meet. I'm not the smartest person you'll meet. I'm not any of the things, but literally everything when it comes to what we do for a living, like our profession, I believe you need to realize once you make it to a certain level, you exist. Like I'm a senior enlisted. That means I'm a, I'm supposed to be, I exist to be a pillar for the officer corps that they can lean on in a moment so they can get back their, uh, their fucking balls and make a decision quick. Right. Like those men and women need to be able to make a de decision quick and they need to be able to lean and trust on us. And then everybody below me in the chain of command, they need me to be the best version of whatever the hell I can give them. I need to be there for them to protect them and support them at all times to constantly make them feel like they're growing. So then they can be me because I'm leaving at some point very soon. Right, right. Not to act like that. Right? right. But like that is how I, that's how I approach my career. And I know that so much of that comes back to being physically vulnerable as a child, as a kid, as a teenager, and not being able to stop a man from doing what he wanted. And so when I look at so many things, I look at that and I go, if you show up and you take power from somebody, you and me are going to have a problem. Like, why are you trying to take power from somebody? I, I, it is probably my downfall in my military career, but like at any moment that I see it, I just cannot handle it. I'm like, nope, we're done. Is it, is it your downfall? Have you paid a price for taking stands that you do not regret taking? Oh, I don't regret taking any of them. Right. Okay. That's um, good. No. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you I paid mean, a price I, for those. You, you, I mean, I made E5 twice, you know, so. Okay. So, and, and so, but you do think the cause was righteous that like, Hey, that I, I, I own that cause. I own what got me to that place. That if I had to talk smack yeah. back to an officer, that was a worthwhile. Yeah. 100%. Moment. Cause it was, okay. it wasn't me. It wasn't them ever. Like I've never. I don't believe I've ever gotten in trouble. I may have, but I don't believe I've ever gotten in trouble because somebody told me something I didn't like and I responded to it. I don't think I have. If I have, I don't remember it and I'm okay with somebody telling me that I did, but mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever gotten in trouble because I've responded to something somebody said that I didn't like. Yeah. That I've responded to something where they were in, they were deciding something for a group that I thought yep. was unjust, like it was dangerous, right? Like that's it. Or they just were just being a dick. And I was like, nah, I'm not okay with this. Like, I'm not good with this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, no, that makes sense. When did you feel like you, <laughs> this gets sound all weird. Oh, when did you feel like you became a man. When did you feel like, yep, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm approximating who I wanted to be. Hmm. Not the whole version of me, because I, I, that happened, you know, like we've talked that happened recently, like over sure. the last couple of years, sure. where I think I've evolved into, uh, I think I've evolved into a better version of the man I'm mm -hmm. supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I think when I became, a, uh, when I felt like I was becoming a man was probably, I can, I can't tell you, was when I was, when I was based in Connecticut. I was based up there as an initial cadre uh, to help that squadron stand up flying C 130s. And for four years, uh, during uh, developing a group of people. So like that was a squadron that had flown like fighters and stuff before they never had enlisted flyers. They never had enlisted people hardly at all in the squadron. So they had to learn that, right? Like how to mold and mend a group to be able to deal. Like if you're taking fighter pilots and tell them they're going to fly with other people, that's a whole different ball game right there. That's a real evolution. Um, 
and then mixing that with, so I was coaching college rugby at the same time. So I'm coaching young men, right? I'd coached young women for a long time before that. I'd coached high school soccer down in Georgia when I was stationed there. I coached high school girls soccer. And I that that is the fundamental time that I became a good leader. I became a good leader because I, like, I fundamentally shifted as a leader because I had to because I coached women, I coached girls, um, coaching high school age girls was the most unbelievably maddening thing I've ever done. It was also, it, it shifted me as a, uh, I, I believe I learned leadership from them because I learned leadership from, like I learned it from young women who were teaching me how to be a better, like be a better version of communicator. Uh, then I went up there and when I got there, I was uh, I was in charge of helping develop these people before going off to to war, right? Um, to go help, uh, you know, eradicate from the sky kind of thing, like not, not the dude on the ground, but like that was the second battle of Mosul. That was Syria. That was all of that, right? And it was like, hey, we're going to go into these places. We got to get ready for it. And by the way, none of these people know how to fly. We got to teach them how to do it. So, you know, hundred and something people, probably 75 of them with no experience um, before they got there. Um, so having to really focus on evolving and developing people at the same time that I'm coaching young men in, uh, in an aggressive uh, contact sport. That was four years where I had to dive into the deepest depths of like being an instructor and a mm -hmm. teacher and being accountable and when shit went wrong, fix it and develop people and focus on them as a person and as all of these different things. And it was when they gave me the most responsibility and the highest expectations of me and I had no, like I either was going to wilt from it or do well from it. And that is when I believe that I finally felt like I'm someone capable. And that's when I started to feel like a man, like mm. I needed that before I went through a lot of traumatic shit, but I needed that four yeah. year period where, yeah, I needed that four year period where I, like I was dependent on and I had to prove it. Um, because that was when I had made that transition in my military career also from like doing the job, getting the job done to teach others to do the job, hold them accountable, hold yourself accountable. And at the same time, also on the outside with college and sure. Um, yeah. And I just talked to one of the uh, kids that I coached in college rugby. He's a, uh, he's an officer in the army now, actually. He's uh he's just sewing on Oh three pretty much like as we speak, probably, or somewhere around there. He's over in Europe. Uh, he's one of a multitude of, uh, military members now that are in uh, that I've coached that are almost not all, but almost all officers. Um, and I follow their careers closely and really? I love them dearly. Yeah. Really? I love them. I love them dearly. Yeah. What was the impetus for you to even get into coaching, especially because you said you started in high school. Why were you drawn to coaching? Well, and, and just the mechanics of it, how did you keep getting coaching positions? That one I, I figured out. Um, I, I really loved my coaches when I was, again, so much of it comes back to, and it's one of those things I had to unpack it as a, as a man later on in life. Right. My grandfather was the only man I trusted. Right. But like I would go play sports and I want, I love sports. I love watching sports. I loved, I loved collecting sports cars. I loved all of it, but it's funny. I didn't play sports because I needed to like be an amazing person on the field. I want a team environment. I didn't feel like I had, uh, I didn't feel like I had a full team. Right. Cause I didn't have, a man that I trusted or loved in my life and I didn't have those things. And so I looked at coaches like they're supposed to be this thing. And so I got very lucky and had coach, uh, coach Ken Lake down in Florida. He coached us in like junior football. Um, and the Memorial episode I just did, uh, um, 
Memorial Day, uh, the Memorial Day episode that I did was about his son, um, Chad, who I uh, played football with and watched play football and was killed in Iraq. Um, And I did like a little story or whatever you want to say at the beginning before I read names of those who had passed. And that's what I did for Memorial Day. And it was a story about his son. And he's, he's stayed with me for years. Like he was, he was killed February 13th, 2005. And a massive majority of my career has been uh, for him. That is a large, he's a large reason, another large reason why I'm still here, but his dad was our coach. And I remember him crying, not when like, he was so sad for us when we lost the championship game in middle school. I remember him tearing up and I remember that. I was like, God, he cares about us so much. And I remember that. And I was like, I, I can't, he, funny enough, he's the only person I've ever gotten teary eyed on the podcast talking about, but, um, um, it meant a lot to me. And I saw like, Oh, you can protect and love and develop people in this thing. And so, I wanted to coach. I was like, I want to be a coach now. Like, that's what I want to do. So I looked at it like, oh, I can keep people. This is silly, but like I was a kid, but I was like, I can teach sports. There's a strategy to it. I love strategy. I love having to like connect dots. I'm a very big fan of that. Um, So it's like, there is a, like a, there's a piece where if I have to focus on how to the X's and O's of this. And then I learned there's a dynamic of humanity in it and like X's and O's and like find which person like had a good day that day and put them in this position and let them lead and then do that. And then all these the things, stuff that made it like work. And then at the same time in my brain, I was like, and I get to protect people and develop them and watch them grow. And like, I love this. Like, I love that. I love seeing people succeed. And that's no shit. Like even when I was young, I was super sappy inside my own, my own mind, right. My own head when I was young. Um, and that was it. And that was, yeah. And so I, I coached middle school basketball. Um, still remember like the best moments ever from coaching that year, the kid who like never played hitting a three pointer dancing down the court. And then the kid that like he was supposed to guard, they threw the ball to him. He scored immediately. And then I was like, damn it, Jeremy, like, ah, but he's the only points he scored all year. So I wasn't too mad at him, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it led to us losing no big deal. Uh, it was middle school basketball. It's okay. Um, you know, I remember little things like that, right. I remember coaching uh, a girl named Tori in middle school and, uh, so I got into high, I guess I should say, I got into soccer. I coached my little sister. She was younger than, she was like seven, eight years younger than me. Um, she lives just down the street now, like in the military, her, her husband got restationed here. So we actually get to live down the street from each other. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. but, uh, but, but not yeah, having any the, background, but you weren't playing, right? So you weren't, I, mean, so I played sports. I played sports growing up. And then right. so I coached basketball because I didn't make, we moved high schools. I got kicked out of school, uh, messed up in school in Florida and I moved to Georgia and I didn't make the basketball team. So I was like, screw it. I love basketball. I'm going to coach it. So I just like wow. went wow. to the rec center and I was like, Hey, do you have any teams that don't have anybody? And they were like, how old are you? I was like 17. I, I don't know if my mom had to like sign a permission slip or what, or maybe she had to be on the bench or something just so I could coach. I think I had to get a parent to be on the bench or something. I don't even know. It was something like that. And like, just so I could coach because I wasn't old enough to be a coach. Um, and then I just, and then I coached my little sister in soccer. I played soccer and I love soccer. And then I just started with them. And then uh, when I joined the air force and went off, I, I'd get to a place and I'd find somebody that was into soccer and I'd play it on a base team. And then I'd coach at a local team, uh, just help. Um, then I got back to station in Georgia and I started 
coaching middle uh, high school sports. Um, and I coached it for many years. And then, yeah. And it, like, I just, I just would always find an avenue where I could be around younger people so I could constantly coach them. Cause I just, I love it. Like, yeah. So because we're, we're coming up on two hours and I don't want to take up your entire Saturday, um, <laughs> You're I, good. I, but I'm like, I'm like, there's so many, so many things I haven't even gotten to touch on yet. Let's just start with, I'm clear. with the, ob- talk about the obvious like. one. Well, the, the obvious one is um, your MOS in the Air Force. So when yeah. you when you got into the Air Force, what did you want to do? <laughs> I, I assumed the only answer to that was exactly what they were going to do. Was I joined the Air Force. So they were going to issue me keys and a bomber jacket, and I was going to fly all over the world. And uh, I, women were going to drop themselves at their knees and glorify me and say I was amazing and all men would high five me and me and Tom Cruise would hang out and you know that kind of thing obviously that was gonna happen incredibly reasonable yeah right yeah Yeah. Yeah, exactly it was gonna happen I knew shit about the Air Force when I joined it um and then they were like well we won't issue you any of that however we will issue you steel toe boots and a wrench and you can turn wrenches on uh airplanes and I was like Pretty much the second best thing. I was so dumb. So I did that. So I became a crew chief in the uh, in the Air Force on 130s and uh, and and loved it, man. I loved it. But I loved it because I had a really good group of dudes, hardworking dudes who taught me. And and yeah, man, they were just they're really good. And they they worked with me. They gave me shit nonstop. They picked on me, which I loved. Like that good picking on, like we've talked about, right? Yeah, like yeah. They picked on me in a way like we had, I mean, we, you know, big house parties and fights and drinking and all the stuff and everything. But like they, they taught me like, like you get to go have fun and work hard at the same time. And I took that shit to heart. And I've kind of like, they, they molded my entire career. Those first couple of years before I became a flight engineer. And I thought that's what I became was a flight engineer on C 130s before I became that. uh, It was the crew chiefs. It was, it was, Dude, most of them who were rednecks who grew up like working on cars in the Midwest or out West or something like that. Country boys um, who taught me how to drink. They taught me how to like, they taught me how to fight and they taught me how to wrestle and they, they taught me how to be a mechanic. They taught me how to be accountable. That's probably the biggest thing. Like they taught me how to show the hell up and with a hangover and get your job done. Um, They taught me how to do all those things. Um, and I loved it, man. That's what I was exactly what I was going for. I was looking to get into a world and feel like I was around dudes who wanted to make me a better dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they did like, or I would have got out after four years. I would have got out. I loved it. So yeah. And then I became a flight engineer. And did you ever was when you started to learn what the military was, uh, and like all the different branches and all the different possibilities. And then, you know, you've got nine 11, you've got the wars happening and all that. Did you leave any stone unturned? Is there stuff you still want to do in the military or is there stuff, is there stuff that you're like, Oh God, if only I'd thought about this, I could have done X, Y, and Z and all that. Like, do you have regrets about your military a billion. career? I have a billion really? fucking regrets. Yeah. And I also am very humbled by the fact that I have had a, um, I was talking about this with Carrie on the, on the veteran made podcast, actually, we were, but I remember him, he was like talking to me. He's like very non-standard. I was like, yeah, my whole career has been non-standard. I just volunteered for a bunch of random shit and kept doing it and kept, 
like I've had a very non-standard career based on the different paths that I took. However, I have a million regrets, right? Like when I wanted to join the Navy because my grandfather was in the Navy, I didn't because the recruiter was a dick. So he was, he said something that kind of was like offensive, not to my mom, but uh, you know, kind of like, Hey, you know, your mom needs to like, let, you know, this is big boy time now. And like the way he said it, I wasn't okay with. So I chose not to go in the Navy, but I wanted to be a Navy corpsman. Cause I was like, Oh, Navy corpsman get to like help the Marines. That'll be awesome. So I regret not doing that. I mean, it's like not a real regret. Like I've had a right. career, but like right. it was a regret right. in the sense of like, what could that have been like? Like how, like I could have helped so many more people than I did. Right. Like I could have, I could have been there for some people that needed it on the ground. Maybe now I'm not trying to sound arrogant. Like, Maybe I could have been good enough, right? Maybe I could have. Maybe I couldn't. Um, uh, there's a bunch of bases. Like I could have spent more time in Europe. I got all regrets like that. But as far as like, I don't have regrets in the sense of being able to say that I've been able to serve. And when it comes to the people, I have zero regrets. I've been able to serve with, I could talk about people for the next five years that nobody will ever know or care about. And I think they're the greatest human beings I've ever met. And it's because I got to serve with them. So I have zero regrets on the human human side of things. Many regrets on like the missions, uh, the mission yeah. sets or the different things. Like Air Force has a new thing in special warfare called special reconnaissance. It started, a, it right. really got known about a year and a half ago, it really started to come into its own and they finished their pipeline. They've been doing stuff before. If I had to learn about that when I was like, yeah, you know, 30, I would have, Definitely wanted to switch over and try that because that sounds like super cool. Those like uh, Trent, the guy who like is the big part of running that school uh, or running that career field, calls them nerds who don't quit. And I'm like, well, that sounds really cool. So like knowing yeah. really nothing about it, it sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. My only regrets are just that I didn't get to try more. Um, but like that's the thing. If somebody called me tomorrow, they were like, hey, we want you to come, like be in the Marines or be in the army or be in the Navy and try this thing. I'd be like, let's do it, baby. Let's go. Like, cause it's an experience I'll never get again. So I won't say no to any experience that's different um, because I love it. Uh, so I have a million regrets because I, I, yeah, I have a million regrets because I feel like I could have given more. I've tried, but I feel like I could have given more, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe I could have deployed a couple more times and kept a couple more people at home so they could have had more time with their family. Or I could have, I don't know. I could have, you know, maybe I, I don't really know. I don't even know. But I, I do feel a constant feeling like I had more to give and I haven't when I was younger in my career. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know why, because I fucking volunteered for everything. Um, yeah. But I, I don't, I don't know. I, I've, I've thought many times like I've probably let people down because, you know, I, maybe I could have given them a little bit more or something and I didn't, but I've tried to exhaust um, every ounce of who I am and every unit that I'm in and give them all that I have. But every time I leave, I'm afraid that I didn't give them enough. I'm like, fuck, what if I could have given them? So yeah, there's like that. It's not really, I don't even know if it's a regret, but it's I'm wondering if, if I should regret it that I didn't give them enough, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing. How much longer do you give the Air Force? They got, um, well, I'm at 21. So they either get like one annoying email that they send me and I'm like, I'm done. I'm checking out. Here's my six months. Yeah. Or they'll get this last run, couple years, this last enlistment. Um, I'm not here because I love, uh, I'm not 
I'm not trying to mean I'm not here because I love the Air Force. Like I just told you, I'll, I'll do, right. like if tomorrow they would let me join another branch, I'd do it because I've never done it. So I would, if they would actually let an old man like me go into the Marine Corps as an infantryman, I would go in tomorrow to go be an 0311 and see what that is like simply because I know I would meet new people and I'd have a lot of fun. So, and it would suck and I would still like to do it. Um, I'm not in this because I love the Air Force. I'm in this strictly because I love the people. I love it. I get to travel, which is awesome. Um, but you know, I'm an old man. I get travel my own, like when I retire. You know, like I'm, I'm as soon as they take me away from the people, I'm done. As soon as they go, hey, you got to go sit in this office and you never get to go be with your people. You got to just go to meetings. Like yesterday was yesterday or two days ago was meeting day, and I was in meetings from like 8 a.m. until like 3.30 in the afternoon. And I hated every human I saw for that whole day. Yeah, like I, yeah. Everybody that's leading a meeting, I was like, I hope you all just like go away forever. Like, I don't want to be here. But the minute you put me in an environment where I'm around, it, it doesn't matter. They don't care about the rank that they are. Right. You put me around people that are trying, like, where I can be, a, I can be with people and I can help and be a part of the team. I'm in like, so it's funny, like I'd stay in until I'm 80 if they'd let me do that. Um, but the reality is I'm not, I'm not an idiot. I know that like after the next couple of years, I, I, I should sail off into the sunset so others can, you know, when I leave some young kid gets to come in, right? Like that's the way right. that it works. Right. right. So, you know, retention and all the other stuff, like for every one of me that sits around here too long, a young one can't come in, but you know, so I need to leave at some point soon and I need to go do the next thing in life. But I, but I'm having a lot of fun developing like right now I got a lot of focus on like developing junior NCOs that become senior NCOs. Yeah. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. Like, yeah. What is the next step? So, well, I don't want to work for the government <laughs> government. I want you to hear this on the record. I want zero to do with you when I'm done with you. Um, and it, and you know, I'm not like anti-America, obviously, but I'm just like, nah, I'm done with the government, the nonsense. Whenever I'm, when I'm done with bureaucracy, when I'm done with this, um, I would like to coach and I would like to write. Um, I would do this for a living. I would just travel all over the freaking world, just trying to interview people. But uh, you know, I hadn't figured the logistics and the financials out of that one. But um, yeah, honestly, I'd, I'd love to work in coaching. Um, not necessarily like sports in the same way. I'd love to work a lot with people, developing them on their mindset and their mentality and like have the dynamics of team, the dynamics of leadership and all that. I'd really like to work. I do that now. I do actually, I work with some, I work with a couple of athletes down in Australia. Uh, and then I work with some uh, high school age kids, high school age young men uh, who are trying to evolve, you know, so I do like some performance coaching with them and stuff like that, helping really? them with, yeah, I do that on the side. It's just fun. Um, I really enjoy it. Uh, so, you know, like, um, I'll spend, uh, an hour, uh, with a kid once a week, you know, we'll jump on zoom. We'll talk, text each other back and forth, but we'll talk about, we'll talk about soccer and we'll talk about this. We'll talk about that. And, we'll, and I'm trying to help them just be a better version of a young man. Um, and then some athletes and stuff like that as well, trying to help them as they continue to try to make their push towards the professional ranks or they're already in the professional ranks and they're trying to evolve as a player. Um, Cause I really enjoy working on, working on people um, because I know the power of it. Once you allow yourself to be the best, you know, or I won't say best version of yourself, but you just keep trying to attack until you get there. Um, so I want to do that. And I really do genuinely want to spend time writing. I would like, 
to produce a nonfiction, fiction, and poetry book before I die. I do not give a shit if anybody reads them, but I will write them um, because I want to say it because writing to me has been such a huge staple. Um, but reading, reading and writing to me are the, they're quite literally like some of the greatest gifts a human can ever have in this world. Like what you can pull from your mind and put on paper, it can be such a tragedy and such a beautiful thing. Um, so I would like to write. I would spend. I'd like to spend a lot of my time, you know, doing that. I love the arts. Like I love the. I, I can't draw a fucking stick figure, but like, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not that person. But when it comes down to it, like I love all that. Uh, I guess my claim to fame for your world. And like, in case you're looking for an interview, I did play Aladdin in like seventh grade in the school play. Um, I didn't tell my mom because I didn't want her to know I was doing it, and so she didn't get to see it. And she, I think she still holds it against me, but. Um, I was Aladdin. My last name is Gladden. If you just change the A, I am Aladdin. That's pretty much how they figured out I should be Aladdin. They're like, the movie came out. This was like old school, you know, like old school style, right? And they're like, yeah, hey, yeah. Aladdin came out. Your name's almost that, and you have dark hair. You're Aladdin. Boy, that's and, perfect casting. Yeah, that's that's, and, that's really inspired. Wow. It was it was that's well. Listen, I mean, hilarious. it was it was the highlight of my uh, artistic ability, if you will. But uh, yeah, how did so, you feel on stage? Were you natural? Did you feel at home? Hated it. <laughs> hated it. Uh, I, because I like, I just, I loved it and I hate it. I love that I was up. It's funny. That I think by now you figured out the trend. I loved it because I got to like be with all the people and have fun with them. But like, I hated the fact that somebody was paying attention to me. Like, and I think that's what people probably really mess up about. They think I like the spotlight. I will fucking shy away from that bad boy. Any chance I sure, get. Sure. Like, this is like somebody hears my voice. Right. So it's different. Like I can, I don't know what it is, but like, yeah, man, I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I no, it makes sense. I mean, I think there's, there's a natural reticence for the spotlight. I think, especially, especially after a long time in the military, I think we naturally shy away from that. There is a team first mentality. Yeah. And I think that makes it. Yeah. I, I, that, that, that's not surprising to me at all, but especially with your focus and how you've thought about, the team and being a leader. Um, let's say, I mean, you're a real, you're really somebody that champions people and um, yeah, that comes through, man. I can't wait to see what your writing is though. I got to check out Dirtbag. Is your article out right now at Dirtbag or is it coming out? It, soon? Is. it is. It is. So I just, yeah, I just I put it I out. Um, it no, you're good. You would, you may not even know, dude, it, it it's uh, under the old gringo. Um <laughs> It's uh, th- th- this character is not going to be like me, but it is at the same time because it's me writing it, right? I guess that's the truth. Right, right? I guess that's right. the deep dark truth. I think there is that that dark side. Um, there's a very violent and dark side of me that really likes um, darkness. Um, but I try to never let people see that. If that like without like I don't know. So th- yeah, that basically is uh yeah, it's uh it's a quick little like five paragraphs about a um a guy people call Chico Earl. Um and then it, it just like, gives you an idea of like where it's gonna go. And then basically, yeah, from Chicago to El Paso, the whole thing is built around the concept of the whole thing is built around when I was a kid, there was a drug dealer that lived not far from us, and he had a, a 1970 El Camino. And I thought that thing was bad as fuck. Like it was awesome. And so this, like this in my brain, I was like, dude, imagine if it's like, imagine like walking out and like smoking a cigarette 
and it was like in Chicago, but it was like somehow it was like loud but quiet at the same time. And you had like an El Camino and he had like this light blue one. I was like, but imagine if it was like the colors of like the Chicago flag with that light blue and that red and that, that white. That'd be so cool. And then that I was like, oh, I read about a badass who's gonna like do some other wild shit. And that's what I, I wrote about. And I was just like, why not? And I did that and put it out and and then I sent it to Buck and he was like, no, I'm gonna put this out. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. I really didn't think I thought it was just being nice. Cause he was like, you know, you let me on your podcast, you know, um, you buy my book. So, you know, I'll leave, you know, I really didn't think it was actually going to put it out. And then he did. And I was like, Oh shit. So you're the dog yeah. who caught the bus. Now you got to fucking own it. Yeah. It's out there Amen. now. So yeah. yeah. But that, that character, the intention of that, um, everybody's writing a book, right? I guess so. But, uh, the intention of that is to actually, um, There'll be a lot of things if you know me or if you, you know, talk to me, whatever, you would see some stuff behind through the words, but um that will be a not a nice uh book. It won't yeah. be a nice book. Yeah. It'll, be, yeah. it'll be ugly and it'll be ugly on purpose. Yeah. Um yeah. I, I feel like you can use writing to get a lot of things out. And yeah. I definitely I plan on doing I plan on getting a lot of violence and anger out via paper yeah that's my intention with this oh so, very cool my mom Dude, will not like to, to read it. this book <laughs> well sorry she already missed aladdin so what's what's missing yeah, the books on top yeah. of it she's yeah, like yeah whatever exactly. got a whole shadow yeah. life i'm not privy to yeah that's it that's Dude, it. this is um i i can't wait to see uh the stuff that you write um as you start churning it out and when when and wherever that happens um that'll be really interesting to see dude this has been a blast man thank you for doing this I I have I still can't figure out why uh you wanted me to be a part of this, but like I just want it life because I got to spend a couple hours with you. <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. Listen, man. Like I like I'm gonna have you on my podcast and I gotta tell you, I listen to your podcast for two reasons. One, I'm very in I very much enjoy what you do with the people that have it on. Oh, and I also listen to you while you are doing the podcast, and I'm like, damn, that that dude. Has this shit figured out? Like oh, he's shit. good. He is. You're good at this. Chris. Like, uh, yeah, you are you're, very. You're, you're, I appreciate that immensely. You're. I, I think you're. I. You're slightly delusional, but I do. I do appreciate that. I mean, look. It, I, honestly, I mean, you know how it is, though. It, it's. It's the guest. You know, it's like if you're talking it to is. interesting people, dude. They do the heavy lifting. You know, it's just me trying to get out of my own damn way. So, you know. Um, you know, like we talked about, there's there's a certain art to championing people, and yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, that means a lot. Thank you. But dude, uh, this is uh, I keep seeing when you like the Substack stuff that comes up for vet rep and all that. Oh. I'm like, I, yeah, I, and I I'm like, oh man, I'm glad you're listening to it. I'm glad you're you know reading the stuff. And uh, this has been a long time coming, so I'm yeah. just thrilled we could do this, man. And um, oh, to yeah. be continued. Oh, 100. And I can't wait to have you on mine. Definitely. In the dangerously near future. We'll talk about that. Absolutely. That was Nate Gladden's profile in Havoc. Um, check out Nate's podcast, the Inheriting Manhood podcast. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really interesting show, and I think this episode was a good teaser for the wide range of subjects that Nate likes to cover. So check that out, and you can follow him on Instagram. Go to the show notes, you'll see all the links to everything Nate-related that you could want to know about. Okay, up front, we gave an advertisement for one 
of our episode sponsors, Second Mission Foundation. I would now like to give a little shout out to our other advertiser, or other sponsor, I should say, uh, which is the Veterans Repertory Theater, which of course is my nonprofit. Veterans Repertory Theater is a platform for veterans to create compelling live theater and events. That's the easiest way for me to say what Vet Rep is about. Obviously, we can break it into almost two facets. One is Veterans Repertory Theater, which is based for veteran playwrights and, and veterans that want to become playwrights to get established and have their work produced. And the other half is kind of our Savage Wonder line of efforts, which are all about veterans in the arts that generally are not theater. Um, so almost any other artistic medium. Um, but all of that falls under the Veterans Repertory Theater umbrella. And at Vet Rep, I mean, we have so much going on. I, I don't even know where to start, but I'll take a stab at it. So we obviously have the Savage Wonder podcast that is going on. Uh, that is my other podcast that I host. We have the Savage Wonder literary blog. We have Write Loud events on Instagram Live. We have uh, the Savage Wonder Festival. We have performances at Vet Rep. We have plays that are currently in development uh, that will be produced, and we will talk about them incessantly when they are at a stage that you can come out and actually see them. But for everything you want to know about Veterans Repertory Theater, go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org, to find out any and everything that we are doing there. And thank you to Veterans Repertory Theater for helping to sponsor this episode. Okay. If you're listening to us on iTunes, as always, we would love your five-star review. You say whatever you want to us, but if you could attach it to five stars, that would help because the metrics do matter. As always, thanks to our producer, Michael Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Nate Gladden. We'll see you next time for another Profile in Havoc. <laughs>